All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome to our seventh episode of Six on Six. It's called Back to Basics um, because it's just Troy and I. As you can see from your screen, we don't have a guest today. The original conception of Six on Six didn't actually involve us having a lot of guests, but then I think there was a demand and I guess draw for it. Then people liked it. So um, have you enjoyed it so far? It's not really your thing, right? Podcasting? Not really. I mean, in general, like the content creation is not my thing, I would say. Right. I'm like, I just compete. That's it. But I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. I like talking about the game. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, anyone anyone that like goes to events and knows me in that sense or like the few times I do stream, I enjoy talking about the game. So, I mean, I think that was the main reason why we wanted to do this, or at least I wanted to do this. You wanted to do it, I think, for other reasons as well. But the main reason is like I like having the platform to talk about the game and I like having the discussions with other people that might see the game in other similar ways or even different ways that are also like at a high level though. And it's it's interesting to me for me to learn or compare and all that. Um but yeah, I've been liking it so far. We've had some good guests, some really good guests. Uh I think I like that aspect of just bringing on so many different guests and in the future as well obviously we plan to bring on a lot more um just kind of giving a lot more people a chance to kind of say their piece and like contribute their thoughts on things in the scene and just the game in general but yeah i don't know I, how have you enjoyed it like i think I mean, we, we've we've had a good time all across the board. I know you I know you've liked it as well, but I had a great time. Yeah. I enjoyed a lot. But I mean, I I have no uh, I know you're the same, but you do it in a different way. I have no problem talking. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you don't have a problem talking either. No, so on, on some some things, some things I am quiet. Though, but yeah, yeah. I think we had some good, uh, good episodes so far. The coaches one really stood out to me. Um, you know, I've gone back and I've rewatched the easily one and I've gone back and rewatched the magnet one. I went back and I got through a little bit of the goddess one. Um, mm -hmm. but it's, it's evident that we are getting, I think more comfortable in this regard. Um, yeah. The one thing that I think it's made me better at is being more concise. I tend to, um, I tend to prioritize the longer rambling contextualize everything instead of just letting the question speak for itself and then let the guest do the talking. So, mm -hmm. but, um, no, I, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot and I think it's the reception's been really good. Um, I feel in terms of the questions that I've been asking and all that jazz, I feel much more comfortable doing that. And, you know, I, if you remember back at, at SI this year, uh, Ubisoft actually Stuart Ewan in particular, um, who is just a, a heavenly individual. He, uh, he came up to me and he said, I'm putting together some, some side content, um, where we want to tell the story of the only four, you know, or well, four of the remaining people that have made the transition from Xbox to, uh, mm -hmm. to console. And obviously it was, it was skies laxing Bosco and Dizzle. And I remember rewatching some of the top, like some of the interviews. And I was like, God damn, I could have ended that question half of the way through. And it would have been exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that I've, I've been getting better at is just trying to realize when to drop a question and when to stop talking. Interesting. All right. What are you... I always thought you could learn when to shut up. 
All right. Well, the same applies to you. So this is true. We, uh, but yeah, we I, got, I, you got us together with a with a couple beers. We can ramble. We the can chatter ramble. does not stop at that point. So no. Um, yeah, I I've been learning as well, but like I've been so I, I've I've been telling you about this. I don't think the stream knows as much. I mean, I you guys can imagine I'm I'm very focused on pro league right now. So for me, I don't prepare as much as i probably could and like i do think i could be more well prepared and, and get better in some aspects so bear with me guys on on the cast i i know i can get better as far as like contributing more to the hosting side and stuff like that and just being more prepared but it is something difficult for me to do right now uh, i'm very focused uh outside the game it's right now it's like practice and then when i'm outside of practice it's either i need time to decompress or i'm sitting there like thinking about the game or doing something for it <laughs> so very focused um but i know i know when i'm here i can contribute to the conversation discussion so uh i'm happy with that but yeah yeah there was some some knocks that you weren't acting as like a host and you were acting more like just a permanent guest and i think that that's fine like i mean obviously in a, in a perfect world we're both yin and yang or yin and yang when it comes to hosting duties but i doesn't think it i don't think it's needed Right, like no, I don't think so either. And I th yeah. do think that naturally, in terms of personality, like it hosting is more your thing than mine for sure. Yeah, and like leading leading the conversation in that sense. Um, it's because I'm so but, full of myself. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Mm -hmm. No, I've I've aside from my own personal take on this, you know, we we'd been discussing for quite a while and, and anybody that's followed you or I or have listened in the past when we've talked about this, you know, we've we've discussed at length about how we wanted to do something along these lines and I think it, it wasn't so much for us. Obviously, I do think it's it's helped us see a different perspective and I think it's from the players and it's helped us tell the story of other players and you know for me in particular, I think it's made me a better interviewer, I think it's made me a better host and it's kind of helped me branch out into an area that I wasn't uh, the most experienced in before, mm -hmm. but I think more than anything, the service that the podcast provides to the public, I think of rainbow six is what is to me most important, you yeah. know, getting, getting players on to tell their side of the story at a level that, you know, you haven't heard before, you know, I'll always reference episode two. We made Fabian cry. I mean, when, when, when would that happen anywhere else? And then it's like, we got four of the sharpest minds, in the history of Rainbow Six coaching on and they talked about things and they brought perspective that never, ever enters the public conversation because the coaches mm -hmm. don't really do much media. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I would hope rather I don't think this I would hope that the people who are watching take. Uh, take the take the messages that we're giving and then hopefully spread them and then the players are given a, a much larger platform and as you pointed out uh we've got some good guests coming up um and i figure we should be like fully transparent where we have a cycle that we have planned and obviously if dates conflict um then we have to kind of change that but in a perfect world we do a six episode cycle so if you're watching whether it be on youtube or listening on spotify or apple or watching it live on twitch right now which, uh, by the way, this is time for the shameless plug. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, please like and subscribe. Mm -hmm. It really helps us out. Um, and if you're on Spotify or Apple, appreciated if you follow the podcast. And if you're on Twitch, just do the same. It's cool if you don't want to, whatever. But I mean, it really helps. Um, 
we kind of want to do a six episode cycle where the first episode of every cycle, so it'd be episode one, episode seven, you know, episode 13, would be where it's just Troy and I, and we kind of hit the reset button. And then over the next two or three episodes, we bring in guests from outside regions. So we brought in, you know, we brought in Fabian from EU, we brought in Magnet from APAC, we brought in Easily from uh, NA. We tried to get uh, some Brazilian players on, but unfortunately there isn't a huge pool of Brazilian players who speak English, I think, well enough nor are comfortable enough to come on here. And that's the thing is it's like, we both know there's a couple of Brazilian players that are definitely well-versed enough in English to come on and have this conversation, but they don't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple guests lined up over the next couple of weeks. The problem is, is that the major, unless something goes terribly awry or gets canceled outright, which to the best of our knowledge, I haven't heard, uh, safe presumption is going to happen sometime in August. Um, full transparency, I don't know when it is. So, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if it's been settled on and they just haven't told us or not, but I'm assuming that we're not going to be able to do six episodes between now and when the major starts, just based on how the, the timeline works. If we do, great. But uh, general idea is maybe episodes, you know, two, three and four of the cycle, which would be the next episode and onward would be guests. And then we could do like a either a content creator or a personality, which is the role that Goddess did technically as a former pro, but now she, you know, she's she works for the Sonics and she's a content creator. And then our final episode will be a six on six on six. And ideally, the one that we would do would be a, a pre-major round table if possible. Yes, that'd be ideal. That's one I'm looking like those are the ones I look forward to the most. And like I guess when, like when we were talking about like when we first made the podcast or like the idea of it like that is the idea i had in mind where like it's just a lot of discussion of people throwing around ideas and opinions and all the takes on on how teams are looking the meta's looking all that i think it'll be really interesting i think people will love it um i don't think we've quite had it yet like the coaches one was close but it's not like there ha there hasn't been enough going on in terms of like actual gameplay and competition to have that kind of discussion I'm talking about and I think people will love it when uh when that does come up cuz I I love that stuff like yeah when pros from every region like giving their how how things are going in that region how teams are looking in that region um what what the strongest maps are from that region or the, for the certain teams and what we can expect at the major like I I think that stuff's really interesting um obviously not everyone always can contribute all those like if if you have to play someone you're not going to say this is you're not going to tell everyone what their their best and worst worst maps are but maybe somebody that isn't competing might might say that um yeah i i think i think it can be really interesting yeah and the one knock that i saw for the coaches episode was they're like oh you know it didn't really feel like a conversation well i don't know if you've ever met those coaches but like they're not the kind of guys who are going to pick up and run with a the conversation themselves. I mean, most coaches aren't like that. Most coaches are quite quiet. They stay in the background. They don't really talk that much. They shy away from social media. You know, Dizzle rarely tweets. Shas virtually never tweets. You know, like these are two people who want their teams to do the talking, not themselves. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, there were some comments on the YouTube video that, you know, and, and on Discord as well. And obviously there's, for those of you that are watching, I just put in the, I just put in the Twitch chat right now. I forgot to add this on the YouTube video, but I'll add it for, for the episode that comes out tomorrow because this will be up on Spotify and Apple tonight. This will be on YouTube tomorrow. Um, there is a show feedback category that we want. If you think that we're being too strict on time, or if you think we're being too loose on time, or we're letting the discussions ramble, et cetera, we want that feedback. Obviously, you know, frame it in a way that isn't offensive, but 
We want that feedback because it's crucial for getting the show to a better place. Ultimately, you, the audience, need to get the most enjoyment out of this. We are doing this mostly for the audience, not for ourselves. So if you're not liking the content we're producing, then obviously something is wrong. Um, and we'll need to make some changes there. Uh, there's also a questions for us section. And I figure that since it's just you and I, we can actually take like maybe an hour or 45 minutes or something and answer just a whole slew of questions because they've been... They've been adding up for quite a while. We haven't really yeah. gotten into them. Um, no, but I think I think that like this ep these episodes are like an ideal time for that for yeah. sure. Yeah, I agree. So we'll we'll we go through. Really and there's a questions for us category. Um, I'll post it more in here. I'll just spam the link right now for everybody that's listening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing with the coaches was there was a lot of insight that was dropped. It was unfortunate that it was only three hours. Um, already we went well over both yours and Pojo's allotted time. So, I mean, that was whoops, but, um, at least things got accomplished. And like I said, and like you said, the problem that I found with the coaches was that because they're more reserved, they're not going to take up a conversation and run with it. But if we get a bunch of dickheads from each of the regions and each of the teams on here for the pre-major and they all just start yelling at each other, I mean, great. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exactly what we want. You know, every, so one thing that I love about Valley's on the flank is you get a bunch of hothead personalities on there and they all just start being boisterous and it's great. It's great content. And I think that we can, we can definitely do the same thing there. And the idea is, is that as much as humanly possible, uh, both APAC and LATAM do have a bit of a, uh, a deficiency with, uh, a different amount of people who are comfortable enough speaking English. So that's something that we'd have to look at, but, um, I do want to get somebody on from every single region every sixth episode for six on six on six where we where we have that breakdown so um it just depends on when the major is and it depends on what teams do and don't make it but i don't think we're gonna have a problem finding shortages of people to come on and talk no we'll we'll be able to find people for sure yeah yeah they're right like yeah latin america might be the only region that might have difficulties but um I think we'd be fine. There's um, so Twister speaks English well enough. Mav speaks English well enough. Cameraman speaks English well enough. Bob yeah. from Nip speaks English well enough, but he's a manager. I don't know how much his understanding of the game is is deep enough to get on here. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, I actually reached out to a couple people in Mav. Retalia and Melly Jenny, by the way, could come on. The problem is, is that yeah. we go live the same time as BR Six, so we'd have to do a different time if we wanted to get mm -hmm. them on or it would have to be a day or a match that they're not casting it or, or if they're not casting, etc. There's just so much fucking rainbow six siege, dude. It's honestly every day I wake up and I'm like, Oh, the rainbow six channels not live. Oh, okay. Yep. And I honestly think that can, that can kind of talk about, uh, and we can actually transition into the first subject. Um, we can talk about the various leagues, the way that they're working, the caster mm -hmm. drama that flared up, um, and then talk about how viewership has actually been down. Um, and my suspicion is that it's just because there's so much, you know, instead of there being yeah. six shows a week and people would tune in now, there's like literally dozens. We have like quadrupled the amount of hours that is being broadcasted. And yeah, peak viewership is going down in comparison to where it was before on Twitch. At least it's not down by that much, but it is definitely not where it was last time. I wonder how much of that is just because people are picking and choosing now instead of trying to watch all of it. Yeah, I, I think that's got to be the case. I mean, there there's so many games. It, it is hard to watch all of them. It's even hard for me. Like, I, I can't watch some of the regions. 
Like, I don't watch all of the Latin America games. I like I pick and choose those. Like, I'll pick the best teams and watch them. Um, Europe, I'll watch almost all of them. Sometimes there be, might be like one that I won't watch just because it's like if it's too close to my like practice time, I won't watch it if it's not a good matchup. If it is a good matchup, I make sure to watch it afterwards. Um, just depends. Uh, but, but I think I've watched just about all the EU matches. Um, and then APAC, I can't watch APAC. I mean, all, it's it's hard for me. <laughs> it's it's too early for me. Like for it, you I, in particular, I, right? Yeah. No, but the time zone is bad for me to watch APAC. Um, I think I watched a. I think I watched like the one of the very first ones. Um, what did Fnatic play Giants yet? I think I. Watched. Yeah, they played the Giants. Yeah. They played Giants. Wasn't that like second one week? Of first yeah, it was like first or second week, I think. I think. Yeah. Um, but that that's all I've watched. Um but yeah, uh I I do think it's that that's part of it. I also think I think the format is a big part. Like I I'm not sure on the numbers. So like who what's getting the highest numbers? Like what's gotten the highest numbers so far? Has it been NA? Uh I think it's EU right now. Um I think I've seen I've I mean the first play day of EU the G2 game that I watched was like 23,000, I want to say, on Twitch alone. And there's a lot of people who also forget that, A, we stream on YouTube, which usually pulls mm-hmm. respectable viewership. The YouTube channel gets more viewers on its own than NA and EU Pro League used to get back in like Season 7, Season 8. And then we also have Twitch on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing for Europe is that there's like a dozen different language broadcasts for Europe. You know, so you have to add those numbers in as well. Um, I think somebody did the math on it on the subreddit. It was like, uh, if they added all of them up for one of the EU broadcasts, it was at like 31,000 or something like that, which is good. That's good, honestly. I mean, it's not terrible for a game like ours. It's it's good. No, it's not bad. So, but apparently there's 22,000 people watching Liquid versus Nip on the BR stream, which is pretty standard numbers, honestly, for them. Uh, Liquid yeah, always kind of pulls... Measure. Yeah, Liquid always pulls great viewership. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think for NA, I think our peak viewership, it's always TSM's matches. TSM, yeah. yeah, and it's usually, I think it was like 18K that I saw. But you have to remember that, I remember talking to ESL about this way, way back in the day. The most viewed region, period, is Europe. NA wasn't that far behind, but NA, very few of that was live hours watched. Because NA is at a time when, depending on where you are, Brazil isn't watching it, APAC can't really be watching it, and Europe might be watching it, but it's like three in the morning. So even even for some of the NA matches, like East Coast NA isn't even watching. Yeah. Like the the, the last match of the night, a lot of the time, if you're on the East Coast, people are asleep. They are. Dude, that Sonic's Sonics matchup two weeks ago, I want to say like Monday or Wednesday or whatever, it started Mm -hmm. at like 11.20 p.m. Yeah, like that's insane. There's a reason why Kix and I are casting the first match every single day. And it's just because even though NA actually starts earlier, NA used to start at 8 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Now it starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, but it's like the problem is, is that with with how long the matches have been going and because they're best of threes and because there's overtime and the desk segments have really the desk yes. segments have really added a lot of time. Yes, that is um, the biggest part. I I've noticed. Yeah, the death segments are like an extra 10 minutes between each map, you know, whereas mm-hmm. 
before with ESL Pro League, it was we come in, we do the preamble. You know, when I was when it would be kicks and I, we would go through, you know, the the top operators and blah, blah, blah. And that's just bullshit that we hated doing. So we would just go through it as quickly as we could. Right. Like, oh, we need to talk about the most operators that are played. Oh, we need to talk about the most maps that were played and the most maps that were banned. But we're not going to talk about them in any context with teams. We're just going to throw them up on your screen. We tried to push for so long for that to be like content that was shown during the break that it just like kind of mm-hmm. cycled through them. And then we were told like, no, yeah. they need to be addressed. So whatever. I thought it was I thought it was shit. I hated doing that. And then, it, but mm. our goal was to see how quickly we could get into the game. That was always our goal was we wanted to see how much time we could shave off to get ready and to go into the game. Um, and then it's like the game would end, come back to us. Wow. That was awesome. Super cool. Okay. We're going to a break five minute break, come back immediately into the game. Like super quick every time. But now the mm-hmm. problem is, is that I think it, there's a bit, there's a bit too much. Um, and it's a lot. It, it is a lot. And don't get me wrong. I think that's fine for a LAN event. You need time between the matches as well for teams to yeah. set up. Right. Mm-hmm. But online, I don't think the desk segments need to be that long. And I've, no. this is feedback that I have, I have pushed to various people saying that I get that we want to have a desk segment. I get that we have sponsors. I get that we have to go to ads and all that jazz, but like we can definitely streamline this and speed it up because there is a lot yeah. of downtime and people have complied. I agree. It's different online because we don't notice it online, right? When we get online, like we set up, sometimes you'll notice it if it's delayed, but that's the the only time it's like that is if there's like an issue, like on your team's PC, the other team, like there's some sort of tech issue. If it's like delayed noticeably, usually like it's pretty quick at land. Like you set up, you can like warm up a little bit, you get into the lobby and then like a couple minutes later they start. Yeah. Online though, like just this season online, it, we've noticed like we've been sitting in the lobby, like they get us in the lobby and then they're going through like a pre-show thing and like we're sitting in the lobby for like 15, 20 minutes and we're like, way we're, too we're long. Sitting there, like, and we have to be in there too. Yeah. We, we literally joke. We're like, they're fucking icing us. Like we, we're not, we're not, we can't get warmed up. Like we have to sit in the lobby and just do nothing for 20 minutes. So I do think, yeah, it could be especially online it can be more streamlined for sure and i mean i i get it i get that they have stuff that they want to do i get that they have like a i know there are metrics and i'd heard the thing is is that like when i'm a fly on the wall and i hear like rumors going through like esl obviously when i whenever i was in the esl office like you'd overhear them talking right about things and it's like we would be cc'd in certain emails and you know i kind of poke through it but there are metrics that they want or were wanted at one point, I know, in regards to like time produced, like they wanted every broadcast to hit like a certain time. And sometimes if we had a quick match, it meant that we fell short of what was wanted and what was needed. Um, I don't know if that's for sponsors. I don't know if that's an internal thing. I have no idea. And and also it's worth noting that this has never been actually shown to be true. It's just something that I overheard, like literally in the lunchroom. So it's one of those lunchroom water cooler style. Oh, I was making a coffee and heard this. Um, but if that's true, it, it's like I can understand it. And every broadcast has that. Every mm-hmm. single broadcast, every single set of sponsors is going to want a return and they're going to be guaranteed a certain amount of time. They're going to be, you know, a certain amount of commercials. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times we say their name, that's standard shit. Like that's not sharing secrets or anything. That's yeah. just how the advertising world works, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I think that there are workarounds where you can do keep the desk segments to a pre-show, for example, like that's the biggest one for me, you know, like 
when we're doing live events, we have like the 20 to 30 minute pre-show and it gets a lot of that frou-frou out of the way so that you can just kind of smash into it when it's ready. And I think like that could be ideal. Um, using the breaks and then not running ads has always been a, has always been very confusing for me. You know, like I remember we had this conversation with ESL. Um, it, it, this was when Ubisoft dramatically expanded the amount of advertising we used to do because, you know, we always used to do the savage on the outside, you know, stylish on the outside, mm -hmm. savage on the inside, the hilarious one. That was, that was yeah. great. But then we'd also do PayPal and that was it though. We'd be like into the game. So there's two ads super quick, maybe like 40 seconds, but it actually got to the point where the ad break after the countdown was done was almost as long as the five minute timer because you'd yeah. have, you'd have like the Capital elite or you'd have the Ella elite or whatever elite it was at the time. You'd then have the pro league sets that you'd go through all four of them. You'd then go through your ads and then you'd go into the break or then you'd go into the, the, the whatever role and then go straight into us live. And it's like, okay, but why don't you show those as part of the break? Like, Nobody wants to look at the standings for five to seven minutes while the same mm -hmm. music plays over top. Like put those in and then just put a timer on the bottom and then just yeah. have the ads in the break. But then it was uh, it was brought up to me by somebody at, at ESL at one point where it's like, yeah, but, but but then they don't like it because technically like everybody's gone and, you know, they're not coming back for it. So nobody's watching it. And it's like, hate to break it to you, but nobody's fucking watching those ads to begin with. Like nobody's coming back and they're like, oh, got to be in time for the fluffy kittens ad. You know, so yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. This is me more just complaining about the old structure. And this is me also that I hate ads. I understand they pay the bills, but it's like, I don't want yeah. them. I just want to get, I just want to get into the action. This is also me for those that are listening. This isn't me talking about the current production. This was me talking about pro league back with ESL. Um, mm. I will say though, that I think they could cut down on some of it. And I think they could streamline it for what we're doing right now. Um, I will also tell you that EUL has way greater downtime than NA does. And I'm very thankful that we don't because it's like, they'll start talking and then it'll be like a timer in the bottom and it will just say something along the lines of like next match, nine minutes. And I'm just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Can't deal with it. Mm. No, it's a struggle. I, and I, I, I don't like waiting around for matches, but yeah, in, in some cases you can't do anything about it. It is what it is. Yeah. The one thing I will say is that when we get to LAN in Vegas, mm -hmm. we're actually physically on location whenever America decides to actually treat a global pandemic with any level of severity. Um, That's like the biggest, <laughs> it's such, it's such a bummer. Like it's just been, it's being handled so fucking poorly here by, by everyone. Yes. Wear a, wear a fucking mask. It's being handled so fucking poorly here. And then like, and we're we're the we're the only ones that are supposed to have okay well BR six is supposed to be land as well but like yeah. and and I guess same but like between like us and EU like we're the one on that's supposed to be on land and we're just like we're not fucking wearing masks like yeah dude I went to a I went to Whole Foods yesterday because in Toronto it's man it's been mandatory for I think like five days or six days or something like that now that you need to wear a mask indoors. Mm -hmm. I went to Starbucks because I was all out of coffee. I just went to go pick something up. And these like two young gals got turned away at the door and they looked so confused. They walked in and they're like, oh, do you have a mask? They're like, no. And they're like, you got to leave. <laughs> but I mean, you, you're going to have those fucking dickheads who don't have a health concern. But then they're going to be like, I have a health concern and you can't ask me about it. And it's like, why do you have to do this? Like, I have friends with asthma, you know, like mm -hmm. and they and they wear masks. Just wear a fucking mask. It's not tyranny. You're 
being a shithead. Anyway, this is a conversation for another day, and I don't really want to get into it because it makes me yep. my eyes just like black out with rage for people who don't understand how this shit works. But um, it's uh, when we do get to land, which was the the original point. I suspect mm. that the idea behind going to land was that we could pump out tons of extra content that would fill um, yeah. a lot of this time and maybe make up for how long the desk segments are. Because like, yeah, granted, after a map, you know, as well as I know that you could you can do a, a, a VOD breakdown of a single map and you can pull it out to an hour of you breaking everything down. Yeah. But that's not the purpose of an analyst desk. And a lot of people, especially like a lot of the neophytes when it comes to esports, don't understand that analyst desks aren't actually really supposed to analyze anything. They're supposed to be entertaining and they're basically glorified bathroom breaks in every traditional sport like Everybody knows that you're there to watch the live action and everybody knows that when the live action is done, whether it's a desk or a musical performance, etc., for the most part, you're going to the bathroom or you're getting something to drink or eat like everybody gets that. So the purpose mm -hmm. of the analyst desk is like, yeah, sure. To a certain extent, they're going to break down what's happening and there will be some, you know, insightful commentary. But overall, it's supposed to be light fluff, uh, hot takes, comedy, props, etc. Like that's. That's that's just what it is, you know? You think people are watching Coach's Corner and they're listening to Don Cherry and they're actually getting any semblance of intelligence from that man? No, that, that guy literally just word vomits everywhere. And then people find it entertaining, so they watch it, you know? Like, and that's the whole purpose. So, uh, unfortunately, there is a, there's a lifespan for that and it tends to be no more than like five minutes. So, I, I feel like anything longer than that for the desk loses people's attention and I think it does drag the games out a little bit long. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, something I was going to add, by the way, though, you were talking about like just the viewership in general. Yeah. I, th I think of, well, one, everything going on at the same time, obviously, like we mentioned. But uh, I I do think if ugh, EU, if they were best of three and no OT like NA, NA like it would get even more viewership. Like the the series in NA are, I mean, you, you have you have you seen other regions games? How many? Have you seen uh, too many of them? I've watched I've watched all of EUL. Um, mm -hmm. I think there was one day where I didn't because I was I was running an errand because the, the problem with EUL is that I usually miss the last two matches because we go into rehearsals, right? Because mm -hmm. EUL is like literally running right up against NA yeah. now. Like the yeah. last match is finishing and then we're just going straight to a timer for NA. There yeah. is no breather. Um, yeah. So I usually miss the last two matches of EUL. I've watched a couple APAC when I can. If I get up early enough, I can usually catch like the last match or two of APAC, but that's about it. And I've watched zero of LATAM and BR6 because they're not on days that work for my schedule at all. So I've, I have to go back and rewatch the VODs. So what I was going to say is I feel like the NAL matches are just by far the most entertaining. And there, I think it's I, just I would purely, agree. I would agree. It's just, I mean, I think the teams are really good right now in NA. I think that's a big part of it. But also it's just, the best of three with overtime, like it, you, it just can't compare. It can't. Yeah. Like ties, ties in EU are some of like the most boring matchups, but if you literally add overtime, it becomes one of the most entertaining. Right. It's as simple as that. I think the there was a great actual discussion that happened from somebody who uh, was involved in Riot. I'm pretty sure he's involved in LCS. He might be with an org. I can't remember. He had a really good tweet stream the other day where he said, you know, there is no better format. If we're talking competitive integrity, is best of three better than best of one? Of course. 
mm-hmm. you know, it, but best of five is better than best of three. And if we really want to, a best of seven is technically even better than that. You know, like the more matches you play, the better team is always going to win. A yeah. best of one is a bit of a crapshoot. You know, anybody can win. And for us, I think the big problem with best of ones is that unlike a lot of other games, like MOBAs, for example, if it's Dota or if it's League, a best of one, the map is not really that important. Obviously, the champions that you ban and the champions that you pick are going to be hugely impactful. Mm-hmm. And one or two early mistakes could end up being the entire series, could be, end up being the entire map, etc. Our game does not mm-hmm. play out like a MOBA. You know, yeah. so if, if it goes to a map that's relatively even between the two teams and then there's no real flashiness and both teams are like kind of like meh and then they draw, I think for most viewers, they'd see that as a waste of time. Yeah. You know, whereas in a MOBA, you can't draw first. So no matter yes. what, there's going to be a conclusion. And while I agree that draws are boring from a viewership standpoint, I don't think that draws are uncompetitive. I think that if through 12 rounds, if on a very even map, no team is better after 12 rounds, give them a point each and then move the fuck on. Like, because at that point, I don't necessarily want to see a conclusion to an otherwise unexciting match. I just want to get to the next match and hope that it's better. Um a lot of the time, though, they are exciting, and it's the fact that it ends with no, like, actual closure. Like, That's true. I think that's what makes them so unexciting all the time. Because, like, part of the reason why the NA matches are so exciting, they're, like, going to overtime every fucking map. Like, Disrupt's games are so fun to watch. Yeah. Because they're going three maps every series overtime on, like, half the fucking maps. It's crazy. The, so The problem for I, I me mean, is that... Just to just to go against my own statement is that there were a number of matches over the last what we had we had three seasons of draws I think season nine ten and eleven all had draws if I remember correctly, um, there were so many matches where it would be like five two, and then a team would storm back and then this the end scoreline would be six six and you're like this isn't satisfying, this is not what I wanted like or or there have been matches where you know I remember there was only like one or two of them where it would be six one. And the team would come back and it would end up being a draw. And it's like, ah, it's like, I just want to see somebody win, man. Like, yes, man. Like, and also on top of that, it gets to a point where there are certain matches where I want OT because I want, like, I want to see, I want to see more of these teams playing. And that's, that's very correct. What you said about disrupt. I couldn't imagine the heart palpitations that disrupt fans are having watching them play. Because, you know, you even when you're winning, you're not, you don't feel like you're winning. And when you're losing, you feel like at any moment you can come back. And they've been really exciting to watch. And they, you want to see more of it, right? Now, imagine disrupting best of ones, like you said, with draws. Totally different ballgame. So. I think also uh, an aspect of overtime, I don't think probably everyone thinks of it this way. I do because, like, I play in the series all the time. But when you play a map during regulation... By the time regulation's over, if you if you tie six six in regulation, by the end of that, both teams have probably shown like their whole playbook on the map or most of it, mm-hmm. at least everything that's like really good and competitive. They might have like a cheesy thing that's very situational on a different map, like a different site or something, or like or a certain bands, like some things that they just can't pull out possibly, right? Right. Overtime is like it always showcases who. Like who threw at that match? Like figured it, figured their shit out. Like they they adapted to to what what the other team is doing, right? Like you'll go into overtime, the other team will play their best site, 
and you have to have it figured out on attack or you have to go to your go to a new site on defense and you have to show something different to catch the attackers off guard like right i think i don't know i i find it so interesting and i think it really showcases the better team in overtime obviously there's some cases where like maps are very side the sides aren't very balanced and like you get two defense old on. clubhouse when you could yeah. only defend church downstairs and then bar stock was your second yeah there are some cases like that and that's why it is tough to have i mean i i've seen a lot of arguments about having overtime and best of ones and i do still think it's good like i still think it should happen because it's a shitty fucking feeling dying um like i'd be i think i've heard like you win in overtime you get two points you lose in overtime you get one yeah, like, we suggest I think, that, and I think the coach has one. I th- I think that's a good idea, um, but one of the shitty things about best of one OT is yeah, like you you might just get you might win the coin flip, and you might get defense OT on fucking Oregon or something. Um, Which strangely is a really defender sided map at the moment. It depends on the region. Apparently, it's attacker side in the EU. Which NA, in, in NA stats map. wise, it is the most defender sided map right now out of all the maps Fucking in NA. Crazy defenses, yeah, it's crazy in NA. Yeah, listen Anyways. to Mister Clash on bottom floor. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 touch on all that. Oh, I know. Um, but in best of three, you get def- like you'll get side choice on OT on uh, on your own map pick. So like the way it works, I don't know if everyone knows this. When you pick a map in a best of three series, the other team picks their starting side, and then you pick the overtime side, and then vice versa for their map pick. And then currently on the last map, it's a coin flip, but usually, and I'm a big uh, advocate for this, is that usually for the decider map, OT side choice goes to, or, or side choice or OT side choice goes to the team with the better round differential throughout the series, throughout the first two maps. Yeah, that's how it worked in the qualifiers, and that's how yeah. it works on LAN. And I think that's very balanced. Like that's that it kind of it may it makes it feel more fair, um, so that you don't get screwed over both sides. A lot of the time, though, that late into the game, I will say like the uh, the defender sided aspect of like a map will kind of diminish a bit just because you're starting to figure out the other team's strats. Like I said, so like if you're adapting. You might be okay. Also, though, if you're adapting on defense or like remaining unpredictable on defense, you could still kind of have the upper hand. You want to take this time to transition into the topic of Oregon? Because I know that yeah. it's it's on the docket. I mean, it's not next up, but that's fine. I think we can be a little malleable with this uh, on the schedule. So, um, yeah. So you you talked about how in NA it's super defender sided, but then in EU it's supposedly attacker sided. Yes, I so I don't understand the EU. I'm I can't comment on it much, right? Like I've seen a couple matches. I haven't even seen all the Oregon matches. Mm-hmm. I notice that every time I see it, Cali is being run. Um, Cali's like hit or miss. Like when what she's not run that often in NA. Some teams run her on that map, but not every team. Um, and then in EU, I've seen her a lot. So. I'm I'm not like necessarily sure what's better, right? Like I'm not saying we're better at Oregon than they are. I don't. Right. I honestly have no idea, and I I don't know why it plays out attacker sided there. I don't. It might be the Cali. Maybe maybe she makes it that much easier to attack, and we're fucking clueless over here. But I don't know. She counters um, your clash quite well. But in NA, like, 
Thatcher is always fucking banned. Mav is almost always fucking banned. Um, and then people just play like in the close corners with fucking pump shotguns, and like that's that's Oregon. It is it's the pump map, man. I, I think. Do, do you remember the the, pump the TS- map? <laughs> do you, that's good. I think the the first uh, TSM match I played on Oregon, and like Chala went fucking nuclear. Yeah. And he, I think he dropped like 19 or something. Just play Mutant, and I'm pretty, wasn't he? Mutant Smoke. Yeah. And it was like it was like 16 kills with the pump or something. Like, I mean, you had the same thing on your team. I mean, we've casted like every oh, SSG yeah. match, right? And it's every single time we cast you guys, especially upstairs, you're just running Mutant Smoke and you're playing these dirty ass angles. It's the pump map. Yeah. It is. Like we've scrimmed it and like I think we ended a defense half and Bosco and Nate, they're like they were the ones playing like Mutant Smoke. Both double digits. Me, Fultz, and Rampier were just fucking chilling, doing nothing. Just the pumps eat people up. Um, it's just because there's so many close quarter areas to play. Like on the kids' site, like just playing close on the. It's not called Gen anymore. Our team calls it Gen. I don't know what it's what it is in game anymore. Um, oh, the, the old generator. Role. It's called like it's called games. I've heard people call it games because there's a foosball table in there. I've heard people call it couch. Mm-hmm. Um, couches. I've heard it referred to as okay. um, games is probably the most common one that I get hurt because of the foosball table. Yeah. We call it Jen because it's a nice call. It's the same fucking thing to us. Yeah. It was, that's what it used to be called. Yeah. Um, but like playing close there, there's like both sides of the wall there. Like you can play close to the wall or you can play close to like the, uh, like the statue doorway. Mm-hmm. And like both instances, the pump is crazy there. Yeah. And then the same goes for like playing um playing by attic, playing close attic with the pump. And then the, the basement, you just play on the staircases or like the hatches, close with the pump again. I think like the even even the freezer side, freezer is like a bit it's not as good for the pump, but then like cuz they can push you off the initial staircase. And then once I push you off that though, then you just play like in the hallway and it's still insane for the pump like every spot is insane for the pump and then clash is also insane on it because long fucking hallways just i don't know just open space and she just controls it you you slow people down they can't push yeah and obviously pump pump just specifies the sas operators for those that are going to be curious about it you have to yes you're not running the gign shotgun so no no sas shotgun that one smoke and mute are still quite strong smoke and mute even with that, though, even with what you're talking about, about the pump, why have we seen Bosco running the FMG recently? That's we it's only been on a couple sites. I know, but why? I mean, the positions he was in, it was better for it, basically. I think he was running it. He he ran it one time in club Clubhouse. was the club was the big one that I saw club, club rafters. He ran it. That was um, that was more because of the Montaigne. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you watch people, they don't usually play smoke in rafters. Um, and if you do play in rafters with smoke, you definitely don't want to just have the SMG because, like, it's longer range gunfights up there, right? So yeah. he wanted to have the FMG. Um, but it was also, Nix was running a lot of Montane. So that, w- that was a big part of it. And then the other time, we ran it on Theme Park as well. Um, yeah, that's what I remember seeing. I've seen a couple teams, not even just Bosco. I've seen a couple teams run the yeah. FMG, and I just... I assumed it's because if the there was... The Park Throne one is, is the one people are running the FMG on. Yeah. And it's just because you don't have to make holes on that site. And it's like, 
depending where you're playing, like it's pretty long range engagements once the uh, the tarp wall is open to throw. Mm. So yeah, maintenance, I think it's called in game. We call it tarp. Yeah, there's maintenance. Maintenance is the one that leads to the uh, dragon side and then barrels on the other side that leads to main lobby. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your what's your take on Oregon? Do you like it? Is it I is liked it... the old Oregon better, but really? that's because I mean I loved the old Oregon. We were right. really good on it at it on EG, right? So I loved it. I had it figured out. This one, it's like I'm I'm growing to like it more, but the gameplay is frustrating on it. It is a very good map for Wamai, a very good map for Clash, and a very good map for pump shotguns. Like it's just it it's a frustrating the way the way it plays out is frustrating, at least for attackers. Like obviously defense seems easy, but I don't know. It just it's very clunky for attackers. It's a lot of just throwing flashes to clear stuff and then trying to yeah. need something. Like it's uh it's not very fun. But Throw I mean flashes to clear stuff though is the meta at the moment. It is. But it's the thing is on Oregon is that in a lot of the places, like it's not very safe. Like there's some very bad spots to throw flashes. Like, um, for example, like the the basement by the tower stairs. You know the big pillar, yeah, down there. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of people play by pillar. Yeah, you got Kyrie down there. You put a deployable shield. You stack up Wamai's on the doorway leading from box to bunker or blue. There's there's no real good place to flash pillar from to clear stuff. Like you could do it from the what about back tower stairs? Box. So, but that's the thing. the The angle on that sucks. Yeah. Like to peak that angle, you're basically peaking the pillar, and he can peak from both sides of pillar. Yeah. Um. And you, if you want to flash pillar right, you have to throw it straight down. You can't bank it off the wall. Um. So sometimes you can like flash down the meeting hatch, and then it will roll to there. But if they're placed right, like you can't even do that. Um. So like that area is very clunky. I mean, there's ways to do it. Like you can definitely clear it, but it's it gets scrappy. Like there's no guarantee that if you go to throw a flashbang there, like there's a good chance you die or lose health. It's just it could happen. If the guy pre-fires at the right time, like it could happen. How many times and, do you see magnets stacked up in that area though? Because usually the magnets tend to go towards the breach on that one side of blue where everybody's playing the deployable shield, and then they fall yeah. back and reinforce. Capitao, if he goes unbanned, as you pointed out, Thatcher and Maverick tend to be the most common bands on that map. Mm -hmm. If Capitao goes unbanned, he seems like the most sensible clear as long as you know there's no magnets there. Because one it fire just, arrow will be able to push pillars out either towards freezer hallway or towards the back stairs. It just depends on the team. Like some teams yeah. do put magnets there. Some teams don't. A lot of a lot of them do, like you said, they put them in L. And that's another spot where it's kind of it's not so bad to clear, but it depends on the team to play it. Because again, that's a good spot to play aggressive with the pump. So like let's say your team is holding pillar without the magnets. And then they're holding L. Um, that's the spot you were talking about with the magnets. So then they're holding L with the magnets. If they're playing aggressive, like on that turn with the pumps while you're flashing for blue, like there's no safe spot to flash. Like you have to kind of peek in and bank it off the wall. And like the pump can easily just swing around the corner yeah. and uh, and get aggressive on you. And there's no like, there's no other angles from the attackers to kind of hold that, if you know what I'm saying. It depends how the defense is set up. There, There's a lot of cases where, like, if the defense isn't set up right, there's probably a safe way to flash and clear things. But there are ways to where it's not very safe. Well, I'm trying to think of your defensive setup that you did where you opened up some of that freezer wall. You had Wamai and Jaeger playing in, and then you were inside of the, like, hallway. Um, 
mm-hmm. by freezer and it's just like you fall enough back i couldn't remember if at that time you had somebody actively playing pillar with the defensive setup um well so that the free you're you're thinking of when i was playing in freezer with clash yeah and then you were playing around freezer as well you were tr- you were covering like the freezer door into freezer but then also hallway and you could push to pillars if you needed yeah yeah so i mean that they were attacking more on the freezer and laundry side so yeah obviously like we rotate we're gonna you're gonna rotate utility accordingly right like that's what any team is gonna do obviously they're not gonna rotate everything but because like teams can fake you out and stuff but yeah. you're still gonna play by pillar but like we weren't heavily invested in it because the brunt of the attack was like freezer and laundry um so i mean we were playing there but i don't think we had a ton of utility i think we rotated a bit but also that's the thing with clash is like if you're running clash like you don't even need a bunch of utility with her and this brings me to another point that i wanted to mention i guess i'll kind of transition into it is i didn't even know this was going to happen i didn't i didn't see it coming but in the first episode you remember i was i was complaining about how this utility soap meta where you're just sitting there clearing well mys and ads's and shields and bubbles and all that right that usually requires all of your utility right right when you add in clash like clash is another operator where like you just you just dump utility at her to try to kill her right and if you think about it if you waste utility on on clash and you don't kill her all of a sudden you can't deal with that bubble you can't deal with that shield right right so like put it you you can put clash in a spot like freezer where like people are going to throw flashes nades all that and if she survives which it's hard to kill Clash. It actually is. Like, especially Callie, with Wamai now. Especially yes. with Wamai. Yeah. Yes. Like, Callie, Callie's pretty good against her, I will say. Yeah. But you don't want to bring, bring Callie unless you have to. Um, and Clash just soaks up utility. Yeah. So you can, like, put her in a spot like that, and she just sits there, takes a bunch of utility, and then you just back up. And I mean, if she survived, the Rand's looking pretty slow for the attackers. Yeah. I, I'm interested to know what they can really do to fix Kali because a lot of people have said, oh, give her a different primary. But the problem is, is that like the sniper is that's her, her primary. Like that is her gun, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. take that away. You know, it's, it's the same as Glass. Like, are you going to take away his gun? Like, yeah, you give Glass the R4C. Cool. Now what? Like, you know, you've taken away his identity, right? So I wonder what's a. Uh, I wonder really what they can do because snipers just to me with how close quarters everything is will never really have a place unless they're more overpowered. And I know you obviously had some choice words for her when she was first announced. So um, how strong you thought she was. Yeah, it's it's I mean, I touched on it before. It's hard to find a sweet spot, right? Right. I will say she's she's becoming more useful now because the demand is raising for her. there's more maps like oregon is a map that she's needed on more and like teams are bringing her more just for dealing with utility like as a thatcher replacement basically still not the best just as a thatcher replacement but now with the res of clash like i don't know she's gonna she's gonna be played more i don't because you gotta deal with a clash a lot now i don't want to see clash more. please it's it's not a fun operator it's not i mean like no. and we we won with her and like I play her. I have. I'm not gonna lie. I have a blast playing her. I, I really do. It's because it. It's because you don't miss. I'm, I'm a sick fuck. Honestly, you, you can't mess with her. 
that that could be part of it. But like, I just I find it hilarious. I just stand there, and they can't kill me, and I slow them down, and I just laugh at them. I'm like, you're fucking dead. Like, I'm just standing there, and they're like, ah, but you nuts. I have Fultz or Rampy beside me. I'm just like, just kill this fucking idiot. He's he's stuck here. Like, come come kill this guy. And like, it, a lot of the time, there's nothing they can do. And if they waste utility on me, then I just back up and we play our setup, and we're all good. Um, I don't know. It's it's not enjoyable gameplay like to play against. Or no, watch. I don't think she's a fun operator to play against, or I don't think she's fun to play as either. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that. Um, I obviously like I understand her benefits I I want her in a place where she has a 5 to 10 maybe 15% pick rate depending on certain sites and se- certain setups a really niche operator kind of similar to the way that we see teams using Montane right now where not everybody's going to run them all the time they've got their idea of a setup he gets brought out yeah maybe it's a little cheese sure but at least it's unique enough and it's not commonplace but I, I think casting clash is boring and frankly right now it's really challenging to cast the game because it's just like it, it, so much of what the attackers do is just it's it's just to destroy the defense like the get like magnets and you know ads's like yep. that's it so it's like we can do this setup and it's like almost Every single round, with the exception of a couple like really, really good teams, almost every single round boils down to, well, they confronted three ADSs and five magnets, and then they spent 15 minutes trying to figure out if they could push through it or rotate, but then they didn't rotate, so they just had to push through it, and then everybody shot each other and died. And that that's a big thing about Clash 2, is that when teams are clearing that kind of setup, right? Like when a, when a guy's peeking and throwing his flashbangs to clear an ADS or magnets, like she just slows you down. And this yeah. guy's standing there with his fucking flashbang in his hand. And then the all does turn in the corner, pre-firing his 81 bullets and just mowing them down. <laughs> it's she uh, she fits. She fits with with the current meta. And yeah, uh, I mean, sadly on it. Yeah, I, I I mean, when I was complaining about it, I didn't think it get worse, but I. I'm not I'm not too hopeful. I don't know. It's uh the the meta is taking a turn for the worse, I think. Um I don't know. I think I think her play rate's going to rise. Callie's play rate's going to rise. I'm not sure how it's going to stabilize from that because I will say Callie does a good job of dealing with clash. So Yeah. Like your clash player like he's not going to want to keep pick, picking clash when the other team has a Callie. He's not. <laughs> We're we're getting into we're getting into a, a really weird conversation that I want to talk about, but here's here's my point of comparison because um, I'm okay. So this is going to be very niche. This is going to be the nichest of the niche. Okay. But if, if you look at the three big mobas, or well, I guess there's only two left now. But at the time when when Heroes of the Storm was still considered a quote unquote big moba, and I know immediately mm-hmm. there's going to be people being like, "Hot's never was," and it's like just pretend for a second here, okay? And the problem they had was that in Dota and League, there are items that you buy that basically put everybody on the same level. So you don't need to bring a necessarily hyper-mobile champion because you can just buy items that can accomplish that feat. You can buy whatever shit Blink you need. And, in Dota. Yeah. yeah, and it's like you don't, you don't need that because it's not inherent in the operator itself. You know, like in Heroes of the Storm, there's only certain, uh, you know, there's only... I guess technically one real 
hero that can teleport, but then you've got, you know, like Tracer and Genji who are super mobile and everybody's really frustrated because it's like, you know, 99% of the other heroes have no mobility to chase them down. And it's just like, you're getting cheese the whole time. There's nothing you can do because there's no items for you to buy. I feel mm-hmm. like we're kind of, and, and Hots painted itself into a corner with that by deciding that items were too complicated for MOBAs, uh, which is a conversation for another day, and then ultimately locking in mobility based on operators or by their heroes. We have kind of the same thing happening right now where they keep creating all of these gadgets and all of these specifically defender utility that is like it requires some kind of explosive or whatever to get rid of it. But the problem is, is that certain operators have more of it than others. So you have no choice but to bring the ones, you know, that have it. Whereas if you opened it up, like we've talked about before, where like maybe you have the ability to bring like, you know, everybody can bring flashbangs or everybody can bring like decoys to clear this stuff. If there's a billion, you know, options for attackers when it comes to bringing like explosives, if everybody could bring like a third gadget, if every attacker had like a little ash charger, or a little ash cannon where just like they just fire off a little projectile and just does a small little explosive, but it's enough to take out evil eyes or it's enough to take out, you know, deployable shields or it's enough to take out, you know, uh, Malusi's Wubwubs, Banshees as they're officially called. Like, or if everybody could bring like one frag grenade instead of two, like you find yourself in a position where the meta becomes so much more flexible because you don't need to bring a sledge, a Zofia, an ash whoever every single time and you know we've talked about operators like ying to a certain extent dokubi gridlock why are they not getting brought even though they're pretty good operators that can work really effectively on certain pushes because they do absolutely nothing in terms of explosives so they fill you know they fill a role poorly in comparison to another operator and i feel like i feel like to a certain extent they've kind of they kind of painted themselves into a corner right now with how many bulletproof gadgets they're creating because now explosives are by far and away the most important thing for most attackers or at least utility clear and like certain operators just don't have it they don't so they're totally fucking useless that's you need the balance of yeah Yeah. explosives to clear the utility and then whatever flashbangs to clear the ads's and magnets and like that's the thing we joked about it the other day at scrims like and said he's like you could make ash as slow as gridlock and you could give her like the shittiest gun ever she'd be picked all the time still right now yeah she's her utility is like fucking top notch right now and that's the thing you don't think of that with ash right that was never the thing people would pick ash to run in and die yes now she's like unparalleled fucking utility clear like three flashes three flashbangs and two ash charges no one else has anything close to that no one else can clear ads's and blow shit up yeah it's unbelievable i sophia can but not to the same extent i'd actually talked about this and i know that it will be very unpopular but it's something i addressed on a podcast i can't remember which podcast it was um where you stop balancing around secondary gadgets and you just make them pooled. So for example, you can bring, you know, you have, you have a five, you have a five man lineup. Cool. You know, you can only bring, you know, like three nitro cells at most, or you can only bring two deployable shields at most, or you can only bring two sets of frags at most. And then you just, you take them away from everybody take from all of them. Yeah. Mm, everybody like operators that. no longer have secondary gadgets. They have their primary gadget, but you could have a thermite with frag grenades if you really wanted to. 
You know, you I could, like that. you know, every single secondary gadget is open to every operator, but they are capped by the team. The problem really is, is that in, in solo queue, this would be a nightmare because you just have some random person taking whatever gadget, secondary gadget, and then not using them effectively. True. But if you're playing like in competitive play or if you're playing in, you know, whatever, we keep seeing this like the first step to nerf every operator is to either lower the damage on their gun or to swap out their secondary gadgets. Those are the first two steps always. Oh, Buck's too strong? Take his frag grenades. You know, oh, yeah. so-and-so's too weak? Give them frag grenades. Like, to, and to me, that's that's improper balancing. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing that. If, if they're too strong, sure, maybe look at their kit, but maybe keep the frag grenades and find a way to limit their effectiveness elsewhere. And the problem is, is that, like, by taking away Buck's frags, you didn't make him more even with Sledge. You've just made Sledge better. Buck's yeah. pick rate has fallen off a cliff now. And maybe well, that's okay because Buck was way too good and was, was you know, there was really never much of a reason to take Sledge prior. But I think all you've done is make Sledge be the required operator now. You haven't done anything. Yeah. You just pushed the problem onto Sledge instead of addressing it with Buck. I will say though, like, and it's part of your point here is, like, part of the reason Buck was so good, obviously Buck's, Buck was a great operator. But huh. I think what something that, really interesting that would happen is if if this was implemented like you're saying is teams could bring what yeah they could bring whatever lineup they want and then they'd have the bare like the utility they need like a team could focus like on like a ying or like a like some sort of like execute heavy lineup and they wouldn't need to bring like a buck or a sledge like they yeah. wouldn't need to bring top down but they'd still like they could bring ying and they'd still be able to have nades and explosives to clear vision because that's the thing is like if you want to bring Ying, you have to be able to clear the vision. You have to be able to clear the ADSs. Right. But it's unrealistic to be able to bring that right now. I I just think the the options in terms of your lineup could be so much better. Like there would be teams that would would still keep like Ash, Sophia, Buck, and then like Hard Breach and like Nomad or something, right? Teams yeah. would still keep that, but then there'd also be teams that would bring like IQ, Ying. Monty, Hard Breach, and like Nomad. Yeah. And if you could bring the right utility, like I think that'd be good. Uh, well, like it, it, it just it opens up so many more options, and I think it makes the game more interesting. Or even if if people are hesitant about that, because I know that a lot of people are going to say, you know, well, if we cap it, then you know, what's to stop the two dickheads from just grabbing frags and running off on our team? You know, that are playing like Thermite and Thatcher. Sure, maybe expand how many secondary gadgets they have. Maybe the attackers now have a choice of four, for example. Like, maybe you have it, maybe you have it so that instead of it just being like flashes and claymore, they also have maybe like frag grenades and breaches. You know, like, who knows? So, you know, it, to me, that, that could be an option or even expand it to three where it's like, you know, you, you never want Thermite having frag grenades. You know, okay, fine. Expand his secondary gadget from two to three. Now they have access to three of them and even then could open up more potential and, you know, have have ways for people to clear. Because frankly, you know, if, if you've got an operator who's got claymores and breaches, they better have explosives because if they don't, they're fucking useless. Like most of the time in, in this meta right now, they are nowhere near as useful as their peers. So if you can add flashes to that, maybe maybe give them breaches and claymores, but maybe give them flashes as a third option 
mm-hmm. now you found there's more flexibility, right? And yeah. and I don't like that they keep balancing operators off of secondary gadgets. I, I frankly I think it's lazy, and I don't think it really addresses the underlying issue. If an operator's kit synergizes too well, fine, maybe retool that. I think a lot of people looked at Ella and they said everything about her is too strong. She's three speed, stupid gun, great gadget, no counterplay, and she has impacts. Did I think it was wrong they took impacts from her? Not really, but I mean, I think you could have kept her impacts and nerfed her gun and nerfed her gadget and you would have been fine. You know, mm-hmm. so for me, I don't like that they keep tinkering with operators with their secondary gadgets. Like I said, I, th- I don't think it fixes the issue. Because yeah. if you really want to roam aggressively now and be a three-speed, people are just going to pick Vigil or Alibi or Cav and do the same shit with impacts. They have yeah. a worse gun, sure, but it's like you haven't fixed the issue. You've just pushed another operator into that spot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a bad thing to balance around. Uh, yeah, I, I think... yeah, It'd be better if everyone could use the same secondary gadgets, and then, yeah, it's just... It's capped. Yeah. So that you don't have too many of them, because that would be problematic if you had people running too many flashbacks, too many nades, banning Jaeger, all that. Um, yeah, that would be too problematic. But uh, I do think, yeah, you need, you need more options because you're currently just locked into, you need to have this many flashbangs and you need to pick from these operators in order to have this many flashbangs. Yeah. And you need to have one set of nades. And you, at that point, it's like, okay, we're bringing Sledger map, depending on uh, on what type of heart breach is needed on the map. And you just, yeah, you're you're too locked in. Um, I, I I like the idea. It's a good idea. I know that anyway. that's that's one of those ideas where the casual community will absolutely hate it. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, if if it gets implemented, I mean they they hated everything. They hate ACOG <laughs> removal. They hated quick leaning. You know, um, like too bad. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's way better. You know, uh, your team was talking about removing leaning from the game. I've actually seen a lot of players say that getting rid of leaning would solve a ton of issues with this game. Um, and it's like, I, dude, if you, if we got rid of leaning from this game, <sighs> I don't know. Like Bosco said that it would, it would help with a lot of the problems that we have online. Yeah. With like the online inconsistency of this game. I will say, or I make it so that it, you lean slower. Like the, I would be, would be very happy with that. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't know if I want them to get rid of it, just because I think it's part of what makes the game like entertaining to watch. Like people that have that crazy movement where they can, they can quickly peek all sorts of things and yeah, all that. And the thing is, is at least in the competitive environment, that is balanced on land. Like it's not, it's not a problem on land. Like. Like I've I've never like fought a jiggle peak jiggle peaking fucking maniac on land. Yeah. And like had a problem. Because the thing is, like on land when the when the guy's fucking bobbing his head back and forth like a maniac in a doorway, right? You see it the first time and you just start pre firing. And literally the next time that guy presses his link, he's dead. Yeah. And he has no say in the battle. Um But online, like there's just no hitting the guy. And the next thing you know you're dead and you never even saw him. Um I don't even know how to fix it. I mean, everybody says get better servers, you know, higher tick rates, you know, blah, blah. But it's like, is that possible? Because I mean, one, it, I mean, it costs money, I'm assuming. I'm not a dev here and I don't know anything about networking. But I'd imagine that to get higher tick rate servers that are more reliable, that 
you'd need to shell out a lot of money. And I think that there has been a very obvious reluctance from Ubisoft to, to do that in the past. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, is at the end of the day, like in an online FPS, there's there's going to be issues online in FPS. There is, yeah. especially at the high, like as you get better and better too, you're going to notice it more and more. That's, yeah. It is what it is. I don't think that can change. I just think the highest for like the highest level for competition. We just, I mean, obviously we're trying to do it now and now we will be playing on land and NA once we can. Yeah. Um, just transitioning more into more and more land um, tournaments. I mean, it's just it's the highest level of competition it should be on land like at all times and i i I see people like like i've seen people say it about counter-strike and it like i the conversation came up because because of the COVID situation things started to transition back more to online because they hadn't been playing like anything of significance online for so long yep and then people started to remember like oh yeah online online cs is a thing and like people started to notice like yeah better teams are losing to to weaker teams because yeah it's just any anything can fucking happen online same's happening in cod as well they're freaking yeah. out that cdl's been moved online and they're saying that you know all the all the cod players are like this needs to be played on land there's more competitive integrity you know playing online is you know such a different ball game and blah blah, blah. and yeah the, the csgo thing's actually been quite fascinating because this is where a lot of people in our community lose perspective and one thing i've really found about siege fans is that i find a lot of because we are, I guess, a newer game slash newer esport, I find a lot of Rainbow Six Siege fans either don't watch other esports or if they do, they don't really pay that much attention to the conversations that go around. And, you know, um, I talked about this on, on my own podcast a couple of days ago where it's like, you know, fans freak out and, and treat things like the sky is falling, but that exact same thing has happened in multiple esports and even traditional sports and everything's going to be fine, right? Um but CSGO is the most interesting one because to everybody, they are, you know, they are the, the standard. They have 128 tick rate. You know, they've got great responsiveness. You know, they've got a face it FPL system where players actually love playing like in the pro tens, like, you know, we mm-hmm. had for a period of time. And, you know, I, I, Rainbow Six is constantly asking for everything that CSGO has. And then these CSGO players have to play like attorney online and they hate it. And they That's talk it. about, how, they talk about how shit it is and they talk about how it's not fun and how, you know, there's problems with the servers and there's problems with hit reg and there's problems, you know, just playing online and blah, blah. And it's like, huh, maybe all the complaining that we do isn't because of the game. It's because this is how every video game online works in comparison to playing in person. Like, but to the casual viewer, this is, this is a, a great example to them of how shit Ubisoft is and how terrible our game is because of all this stuff. And it's like, is it great that our game oftentimes feels like it's held together with scotch tape? No, it doesn't feel great. And I, you know, the devs have been doing, I think a commendable job of fixing it. Obviously COVID has put a major hurt on their ability to react quickly because Mm -hmm. they're all working from home. But at the same time, it's very clear that if you play any game online with the, with the exception of even MOBAs, if you play any game online as a shooting game, you're going to hate playing online versus playing on land. It's just the way it works. Everybody's going to tell you that. And it doesn't mean that Rainbow Six sucks. It just means that that's how FPS games play out online. You can just ask Call yeah. of Duty and CSGO. The thing is, too, is that, like, there's even, like, my, some of my fucking teammates are even guilty of this. But, like, there's there's pro players that make these same complaints you're talking about. 
like CS is fine online though. Like CS has better servers, better hit rate. The thing is, is like, and I'm not, I, I don't fucking know. I don't yeah. know. Like technically, yes, they do have better servers and all that, right? The end of the day, though, like, like unless. Standard. But the thing is, is like you don't notice it as much unless you're the absolute fucking best. Yeah, you don't. When you're when you're way better, and when, and especially when you've played on land, that's when you notice it more, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah, like when you're when you're really good at the game, like you know exactly when you should be winning a gunfight, right? Right. So like. And then a lot of people don't necessarily realize that. So, like, there will be, like, Siege players that will get on CS and they'll be like, oh, this feels great compared to Siege. It still fucking sucks on yeah. It does. Pro CS players will tell you that. It's not... There's no There's no pro CS player that'll be like, yeah, online CS is fine. And same with COD. And same with Valorant now. Like, online, online shooters suck. They do. Yeah. It is what it is. Peaker's advantage just, and hit reg will always be poor when you're playing online and there's latency involved. There's no way around it. None. Because mm-hmm. if you got somebody playing from one side of the continent and you got somebody else playing from the other side of the continent and the servers are having problems or blah, blah, shit's not happening in real time. It's just no way. And you can try to reduce that latency as much as possible, but it's never going to make up for you literally playing at the other end of a stage against that same person. Yeah. So. Um, um. I think, yeah, transitioning to land as much as we can, I think that's yeah. the biggest way to deal with that. And that way we'll have the highest level of competition as frequently as possible. I think that's that's the biggest thing. Um, fuck, I had something else to add to that. <laughs> damn it, man. Um, God damn it, I'm blanking now. Okay, well, we can come back to it. I think this is a good jumping yeah. off point for the, I guess, because I want to get into questions. We've already been going for about an hour and 20 minutes. This has flown by, by the way. Um, but uh, it, this is a good jumping off point, I think, to talk about, um, I guess, the league or the leagues as a whole. Because um, we've got a couple things to talk about. Um, very briefly, I'd like to get into what's going on right now in EUL with the whole caster drama and our scene being... Mm-hmm. Uh, not exactly the most welcoming of, of new faces. Um, then we can talk about the hyena Twitter madness, as you called it, where yep. I, I this man is just descending into madness before our very eyes over the course of many weeks and many months. Um, and then on top of that, in keeping with the, the other Twitter drama, because Twitter was great for people that were bored this week. You had you had Farrell's tweet just raking the EU talent over the coals. You had the Twitter drama that came with that. You had Hyena deciding to call out like half the teams. And then you had Merck basically saying that he couldn't deal with the pressures because of what was going on with TSM and their fan base. And um, I think all of these are a pretty good discussion, especially with how much we've all kind of been uh, leaning on social media during the shutdown. Um, I mean, if you can't leave and you can't really do much, I, I find myself checking Twitter way more than usual. And I know that that's not healthy because Twitter is hell. So... Um, and I'm usually somebody who likes Twitter. I can't imagine people who hate Twitter. So, yeah. um, which one of those do you want to start with? You want to start with the EUL stuff? You want to start with the Merc stuff? You want to start with the Hyena stuff? You start with the EUL. So for those that haven't caught up to speed, then I'll just give a bit of a refresher. For those that don't know, Farrell, former player for Team Secret, former coach, very briefly for oh, uh, Penta. I remembered what I was going to say. Okay, real say quick. It. Let's get into it. And then this is just... Real quick, so about all the online bullshit. Yeah. I And this is, like, how I view it. It's just the fact that, like, and I think that other people should 
just take like online results with a grain of salt, right? Right. And I think that's something that should be done like and then that's something that's done in other games. Like uh I noticed like analysts and stuff in CS will will even mention all the time too in CS is like when it when like a really good team loses online, it's just like it could be online CS. Like don't take like one loss as like obviously like I'm I'm in a position here where like we lost in Pro League, so I'm fucking defending myself a bit. <laughs> But that it's not the case. Like I'll tell you right now. Like fucking win or lose online. Like if we go on to win the NA major, don't call us fucking nasty because we want it. All right. Don't fucking like don't add anything or like take anything away from teams unless they're getting like smoked. Like if we're getting smoked and we're not winning shit online all the time, then be like, all right, something's going on here, right? Yeah. But if the top teams are keeping neck and neck with each other, it's very hard to tell. Like if. If someone's losing a fucking clencher series online by like one round, it's just like, who knows? Like, who knows who really would have won that matchup on land, right? You don't fucking know. Like, you just, it, you just want to defend yourself against the DG match. That's not it. That's a hundred percent. They they played. They're they're actually nasty. NJR is fucking nasty. That guy's crazy. But anyways, my but you really but that you is really making a bold point just to defend yourself against DG. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, I do think that it's so, it's something important to do because I don't think like teams should get overhyped from the online results. I, I think I tweeted something about this like before. I think I tweeted before the season started was like somebody some CS player tweeted something about online and I quote retweeted it and I was like this like the same standard needs to be kind of held like the same thing applies to Siege. Yeah, because it's just I think someone was like giving Astral a shit or Liquid some some like top team in CS they were giving them shit because they lost to someone that they probably shouldn't online. And then I think it was Daps. I think it was Daps. Um, I forget. I don't know what team he's on. I'm You're flying solo on this. I didn't see this drama. Anyways, okay. He, he just tweeted something about just online CS being different and that, yeah, teams shouldn't be given like too much shit or also that basically that result should be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. And I, I think it's something important to keep in mind. And I again, same thing goes for winning. Like if I win the major online, like maybe maybe I'll fucking crack a joke or something, but like, dude, it really like I I can't even get that hyped like winning an online season or like an online like right now like qualifying for the online major. Obviously, I want to. Obviously, I'm gonna be excited if we qualify. Right. But it's not the same feeling because I don't I don't feel like we're really proving something, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I feel that, and it's just like it's a different ball game and playing online is much smaller peanuts, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's a different. And also, game. if you're not yeah. if you're not playing against international competition too, it kind of changes things. I think. Yeah. And uh, I'm I am very interested to see what happens in regards to the major and how they deal with it. Like I said, I don't have any information on it. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know where it will or won't be. I don't know if it's going to be online. I'd... So we'll wait and see, and we'll wait future information. But let's get into the EUL stuff then. Um, Didn't they they made an announcement about it being online? A public announcement. No, I don't I remember. remember I, I don't remember, I remember seeing, seeing it. people. I remember seeing people tweet about like not going to the major because of it, or was it that? Yeah, it was that it was canceled because of it, and that there'd be online majors in place. I'd have to find it. I have no idea, dude. I maybe not. I have found it so challenging to keep up to date with everything now that I'm not involved with all of it in one regional place. Like just trying mm-hmm. to keep in touch with like what's going on in Europe and what's going on in like 
Brazil and APAC and all that, I find it's a lot harder. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it could be, it could be that they announced it already, but it's just like, I, I try to keep up to date with it, but it's just like, there's, you know, outside of like going to siege GG or something like that, it's not, it's not unified. Like we used to get emails from ESL that would basically give us like all the updates on the goings ons and happenings and all that. And it was really, really helpful. We don't get that from face it because we only get updates now about the USD, right? Like, mm-hmm. or, or NAL rather technically. So it's like, I have to go out of my way to try to figure out what's going on with Europe or what's going on with like whatever teams. And it's all based on, you know, schedules. And it's like the thing for me with EUL and APAC in particular, APAC is like, it's just not on time zone wise for us that, that really works. So it's, it's impossible to grab it live. And it's, it also falls on my only two days off. You know, we have Tuesday reserved for like emergencies, like rehearsals, meetings, etc. but that we haven't needed it yet. So Tuesday is technically the only day off I have each week is Thursday. All of the other six days are busy and blocked. So it's like, I only get one day off. Obviously, I have like the first half of the day off, but it's like on Tuesdays and Thursdays when APAC are like, no offense on Thursday. The last thing I want to do is anything Rainbow Six related because I'm doing it for six other fucking days of the week. So Thursdays are usually my days where I just detach and it's like I'll either game on my own or I'll go out for like a long hike or I'll go drive around or I'll take my dogs for a walk or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's just it's hard to keep track of all of it unless you're at, like just living on Twitter. And that's why I think more than any more than anything, the subreddit needs to be like the portal for people. And I think I've actually kind of seen how there's stuff that's been announced that is that hasn't gotten any feedback on the subreddit. And it's kind of disappointing because I've missed it because I haven't seen it on Twitter. And then I just go to the subreddit and I'm like, oh, it's not here either. This is weird. So but um, anyway, let's go on to the EUL stuff, because right now they're um. They're having obviously some issues uh, after mm-hmm. Farrell's tweet. Um, yeah. And uh, the one thing I will talk about uh, regarding EUL is that I don't know what goes on internally over there. I don't know how they do talent, etc. Um, I know that when Kix and I were talking to the regions as to where we were going to go to cast, we made it a deal breaker if we got split up. Um we wanted to stay together and we were told for EUL, you know, that was fine. If, if we did go over to EUL, that would have been fine. Um, I don't know why they're not doing pairs, but that seems to be the big issue. And there's a couple things I want to address really quickly. And I did my own, I did my own like stream slash whatever about this bang on, on, I think it was Wednesday. Because if you look at the EUL talent roster, they have some people on there with decent experience but they've never had experience at a tier one level and they don't have experience with each other, right? Like Milos is by far and away the most experienced talent that they have over there. And Hmm. he's known for being a caster, but he has also made it very clear that he doesn't want to cast and he hasn't for quite some time. He told Mm -hmm. me back in like 2018 that he wanted to be a desk host and he didn't want to cast any longer, but there was just, frankly, there was nobody else at the time who was good enough nor, and here's the kicker, willing to give up their life and move to Poland, which was a huge burden for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it sounds silly because Poland is a is a nice place, but um, the location was a major obstacle for talent. A lot of would-be casters said, like, I'm not moving to Poland. And it's yeah. like, 
you know that that right there excludes you from working the job straight up so um the three casters that i've noticed the most getting the heat are hap jess and geo um I might, yep. I will say this though, Jess has actually been getting a lot less heat than I'd anticipated given the blow up that happened in this community when she got the spot for SI, I thought that it would be much worse, but I think Jess did a great job at SI and I think she shut up a lot of the fucking mouth breathers that, you know, thought, oh, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know what she's saying. And then it turns out that she knows what she's doing and she also knows what she's saying. So, um, I think Jess has done a bang up job. I think all of EUL has been fine. And I want to say that because I don't want like Geo and Hap thinking I'm shitting on them by specifically focusing on Jess. But a lot of people were saying, you know, for Jess or for Geo or for Hap, you know, why didn't they get more tier one experience? Mm -hmm. To which I have to say that from the inception of Rainbow Six Pro League, originally there was only two spots for tier one casters. It eventually expanded to four of which two were for Xbox when Xbox folded, it then became four, which went down to three and then went down even further to two and then shot back up to four and stayed at four. Mm -hmm. There have never been more than four spots at any one time to develop new talent. So unless you wanted them to fire all four of us and bring in four new people for a couple seasons so that we were unemployed while other people got experience, there was no way for somebody like Geo or Hap, or Desichu, etc. And I mean, you can even argue if casting ANZ is technically tier one experience, as I've seen some people do. I think it is, for Dev, on his side Ooh. of things. But it's like, Jess couldn't have come in and casted tier one, there weren't any spots. Geo couldn't have come in and casted tier one, there weren't any spots. Hap couldn't have come in and casted tier one, there weren't any spots. So all these people are saying, like, why don't they just stick them down in Challenger League? Sure, in a perfect world, that's where these players or there's that's where these casters who didn't have tier one experience would have gone. But there would not be enough casters to cast at a tier one level. Yeah. So who are you going to find to to do this? Like, that's the thing. If you're saying like the only people who should be casting tier one are people who've already casted tier one or at least toiled for a long time in tier two. The problem was, is that there was nowhere near enough people to fill either of those criteria. So you had to just pull people and hope that they did well. And I think they're doing well. I think the bigger issue with Europe is that they don't have consistent duos. Yeah. You know, you can take two mediocre casters that don't really know the game all that well, but if they're really entertaining and they're doing well together and synergizing, you'll forgive a lot of those mistakes. And the problem is, is that you've got inexperienced tier one rainbow six casters in EUL, which is fair to say. And they don't get to establish any chemistry with each other. That, that's definitely a problem. I mean, yeah, they they need to gain experience. So, like, obviously, like, I'm not like you don't you can't expect them to be like flawless fucking casters right away with no experience. Right. But like as they're building the experience, yeah, they should be building it with a partner, like yeah. a duo. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then they grow together. I mean, in some cases, yeah, maybe they, they might not end up that good. Maybe they don't grow that much, whatever. Mm -hmm. all right sometimes there's a, a failed experiment in that sense i guess but like like a lot of the time it's gonna turn out well like you just you gotta give people time to work together um yeah it, th there's no way that could help like constantly swapping around like it i don't even cast but i know that would not like that wouldn't be ideal just yeah. casting with a new person every other match or whatever I can tell you from experience right now, it feels like you're hitting reset every time you go back onto the mic. Like, yeah. I cannot begin to describe to people 
who don't cast how crucial it is that you stay with the same person because the way that you banter and just simply have a conversation with somebody is going to, you know, very wildly you, what you pick up on, how you toss off, how you pace around, how you are more comfortable doing play by play. Or are you more comfortable doing color commentary? And then how does that work within it? Especially a game like rainbow six, where 85% of a round is going to be color commentary. Mm-hmm. Or it might be play by play, but it's being done in a way to set up color commentary in regards to you play by playing how a team is droning or executing. Yeah. Like every single time you go live, there's there's zero feeling of progression and there's zero feeling of improvement if you're with somebody new every time because you have to get used to their idiosyncrasies. You have to get used to their rhythm. And the other thing too is that let's say you and I are casting one match a day together, but then you're casting with Jeffrey and I'm casting with Linda. When I cast with Linda, I'm learning different things about her, her style. And when you're casting with Jeffrey, you're learning different things about his style. So the way that you are improving and the way that you're growing as a caster with me is entirely different than the way you're doing it with Jeffrey. So you might be thinking to yourself, sorry, because it doesn't apply like with you. Yeah. The way I'm, yeah. Like when you, when you can't like maybe Jeffrey's the kind of guy, like here's a great example that I, that I can actually pull from experience. When I used to cast, cast with Kix at the beginning, Kix was very long winded and he liked to talk for a minute to a minute and a half because that was his dynamic with bloodbath. When he was with Panky, a lot of times Panky would talk for like two minutes of the round and Kix would just kind of fill in here or there like a traditional color commentator would do. And frankly, with the way Rainbow Six Siege plays, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have one person dominate the conversation because there's so much downtime that you kind of need both to be able to talk. Fair enough. So when he transitioned from Panky, where he was speaking less, to Bloodbath, Bloodbath was very rigid about how they talked. So for Bloodbath, they they wanted like long-winded, almost like these diatribe-esque like casting. I thought it was dreadful to listen to. Because you shouldn't be talking for more than like 30 to 45 seconds. You shouldn't be unless there's no proper pacing and the action is just crazy and you can't give it up, then continue on. But by and large, when a round is, you know, two to three minutes, you should be trading off every 30-ish seconds, give or take. When I first started casting with kicks, I found it very challenging because I was used to casting for like the final minute to a minute and a half of a round when I was casting with Talon and CCS, but I did a lot of solo casting. So I was used to talking a ton. When Kix would talk for long periods of time, I was like, okay, maybe like let's rein this in because we're finding times where it's hard for us to get a proper word in if we're all just talking so long and it's not being flexible. So I come to the Six Invitational 2018, first SI, and I get partnered up with Zeronic, who's brought in as an analyst, but he's also going to be casting groups. Well, you know Zeronic. He is notoriously short on words. I would set up something and throw it to Zeronic, and he would talk for 15 seconds and then pass it back to me. And then I'd talk for a minute and 20 seconds because that's what I was used to with kicks. So there would be rounds where it'd feel like Zeronic would talk for like 40 seconds out of the three minutes plus prep phase plus, you know, reveal or well, not reveal phase of the time, etc. So everything, so I had to unlearn that. And it got to the point where by the end of that match, I'm now talking in 20 second intervals, so is he. But I can't apply that back to kicks. So when I went to go back to cast with kicks, everything I'd learned with Zeronic was wasted. 
And that's what I'm getting at is it's like, if I was casting with you and you and I had like a nice synergy going, but then I go cast with Linda and you go cast with Jeffrey, everything we've learned casting with each other is basically useless, frankly. And I think that's kind of what EUL is doing right now is that because they keep shaking up the casters, there's no progression. Nobody's really improving because none of the duos are improving. And mm -hmm. the people who are improving as individuals are doing so despite whatever chemistry they might be developing which with their co-caster, which I think is the wrong way to be improving. I agree. So, I mean, yeah, they're just it, it's holding themselves back long term just by yeah, it stunts their growth. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would know better than me, but like it, it makes perfect sense to me. So, I agree. Yeah. It's just it's for me, it sucks and you know, I remember I remember when ESL tried to do this one time. I can't remember what season it was. And I don't remember if Ubisoft had asked or not. But I remember we had a, we had a meeting. And it was Milo, Shemzo, Kix, and I, obviously. And then we had a couple like League Ops guys there. And we, we met at the studio. And they're like, uh, for this season, uh, we don't necessarily want to be so rigid with our roles. We kind of want to swap things up. And we're like, well, how, like, why do you mean that? Like, why? And they're like, oh, just to, you know, like give other duos, like to increase like your synergy with each other, you know, and like just kind of like make it so it's not just like two duos and, you know, like it's four. And all four of us just said, fuck, no, we're not doing that. We will mm -hmm. not do that. We all put our foot down. And then. Yes, I was like, OK, well, we're not going to do that then, you know, so I have a feeling and I don't know how much power they have, but I have a feeling that if the EUL casters all kind of came together and went to either face it or Ubisoft or whoever's directive this is that they're wrote. Maybe the casters, I, I will tell you that the casters don't strike me as enjoying rotating, but that's just, that's just my own speculation. I, I would say that if the casters wanted duos, if they all band together and they go to Ubisoft or face it and they say, Hey, stop this. Like we want to establish duos. We want to work mm -hmm. on that. This is what, this is the hill we die on. I don't, it's not a fight that Ubisoft or face it wins personally. Like I, I don't see them winning it. Like the casters will win that fight. If mm. all of them go together and say, we are doing duos, here are the duos. This is how it's going to be like, obviously approach it nicely first, obviously go in and approach it and say, Hey, you know, we'd like to do duos. And if ESL and, or, you know, or sorry, if face it or Ubisoft or like take a hike, that's mm -hmm. when then you say, okay, well, we're just not going to cast them. Like, we want to be duos. This is how it's going to work. Like this is our, these are our careers as well. I don't see face it and Ubisoft winning that battle personally. I mean, maybe who knows, but, and it's a risky, it's really risky, but it's like, if that's a hill you're willing to die on, then sometimes you got to die to try and, you know, defend whatever honor, whatever opinions you may have. Right. Yep. I mean, so I'm for it, but I think it would make for a better show. I think so as well. You know, because say what you will about whether the talent is used to tier one siege or not. They're, they're all going to learn, right? Like I never, I never faced even one tenth of this level of scrutiny when I debuted. And I don't think people realize how little I'd actually like played the game. I mean, the pros probably realized it for my casting, but like the general audience probably didn't mm -hmm. keep your opinions to yourself. Anyway, I started playing in January my first cast was May, May or June. I can't remember. I think it was the last week of May, beginning of June. Can't remember the exact date. 
And then I was in pro league in September. You know, that's, that is at best. The first time I played the game was January 4th. Cause I went back and checked when I created my Uplay account. It was January 4th, 2017. We're talking about nine months of me playing this game. And then I am casting at a tier one level, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the game is a lot more complex now. Yep. Fair. But I never faced even one tenth of the scrutiny. I will say, I think a big part of why I didn't face the scrutiny is because I was seen as effectively replacing Bloodbath, who was not well loved in the community. And I will say yeah. that is that is probably a reason why I didn't receive as much scrutiny. But I I I think it's kind of unreasonable for people to take a step back and look at the big picture and and not understand where these casters are coming from and the fact that they've got to learn and you just shitting on them doesn't help. I agree. I, I mean, I think when you, when you were coming in also, I I mean, I guess there was tier one casters, but like it wasn't as developed, right? Like it's a lot more developed now. Like, yeah, you and kicks are like the voices of the game in terms of like, it's iconic, right? In that sense wasn't really the case before i mean panky kind of i think panky was like the closest we had to it he only cast it for a year though eh? like it no i know it's crazy people think i think people look back and think he cast it for longer than that i think just the reason why it was like that though is because he was the first caster in this game that was casting that had like any like remote experience like yeah it came from league and starcraft yeah yeah like he he had experience from outside of the game so it was like he he was like the first kind of voice in that sense, and then everyone else was brand new to it. Like like Emzo, I think was initially like an analyst for a team. Like he just played the game. He right? did like, like he he was in like software design, but he played the game, and yeah, he did analysis work. Yeah, yeah. And then like Kicks was a former pro player. Yeah. And Bloodbath, former pro player. Like none of them came from casting other games. Yeah. Um. Uh, Milos eventually came in and he casted Battlefield. Yeah. But like that was all this was happening. Like, yeah, just before anything was developed. Now it's a bit different. So people like I think compare. Like the the new EUL talent to you and kicks probably. And that's where they give the criticism in that sense. But yeah, I mean, you got to give people time to develop. You do. Yeah, it is what it is. Like that—that's how it's going to be. When we're developing new talent, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. If if we were bringing in talent from like another game, and then they're really not doing well, I can understand a bit more. But like this is literally like us trying to develop siege talent, like just people that come from siege and want to cast in siege. I mean, Des and Geo, I think casted like Overwatch a bit here and there, but like yes, yeah. Either way, we're trying to develop our our own new talent and all that. And, you gotta give it time. And like you said, working in duos will help that. I just, that's the one big thing that it's like, it would cost them nothing if they just reverse course on the rotating duos. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the talent want it because there's so many matches that it gives them time off. I don't know because they don't have a set desk, right? Like in NA, we're kind of, I don't know. We're, we're really lucky because we have a solid desk. So when Kix and I are done, we're done. Whereas in EUL, it's like you'll have Jess and Dev on the desk and then you'll have Hap and Geo casting and the next match, it'll be Geo and Zeronic on the desk and then Jess will be casting with, you know, whoever. Like, 
So they're, they're always working shows back to back and it's like, it, it ends up being a slog. So maybe they wanted to rotate because it gives them more time off. I, I honestly, I don't know, but, um, the big thing for me that I really don't like about that, about, I mean, this happens in every esport. This is not a rainbow six thing, but I don't like that. They, that our community is just overwhelmingly hostile to new talent whenever they come in, you know, the Matt Andrews thing always comes to mind um, as one of like the most embarrassing periods of time for our community, because for the first time ever with golden boy coming in, you get a world-class host. You've got a, a ton of attention and a ton of eyes on, on, you know, TSM is now in the sport. The Raleigh major prior to had a whole whack of teams playing really, really well. The event itself was a dud from a competitive standpoint. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, the matches were mostly all bad and the storylines that came out of it were meh. But shaping up, it looked like it was a great event on paper. You know, huge amount of talent coming into the scene. It was a good opportunity for Veli, you know, to, to stretch his legs. Um, and then, you know, what ends up happening is the story that comes out, the biggest story around esports was how we are the only community. I mean, Valorant has now taken that on. Good for Valorant. That community seems beyond toxic. But we were the only community at the time that shit on Golden Boy. And it wasn't even just like, hey, we don't like him. It was dominating Twitter and Twitch and the subreddit for days. And I think people have short memories because they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's like, oh, no, it was pretty bad. It was really bad. And I've had to answer to it in other esports where it's like, I've gone out, I've been at DreamHack and they're like, oh, you're the, literally somebody was like, oh, isn't Rainbow Six a community that like rejected Golden Boy? And I was like, yeah, like, and that's not to say that Alex was flawless at Raleigh. I think he did a great job. I think obviously he had some hiccups. He was new, but I think he yeah. had some hiccups. But I mean, it, people try to look at Matt Andrews with like, you know, rose colored glasses and it's like Matt made mistakes like regularly, you know? Mistakes with the pronunciation of players' names, naming, you know, the wrong people on certain teams, forgetting that people were on teams, you know, et cetera. Like, it happens. Everybody makes mistakes. Does it mean that Matt's a shit host? No. Does it mean that Golden Boy's a shit host? No. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, it It sucks. And for people that are wondering, yeah, apparently Valorant was like just destroying his casting or something like that. And it's just like, dude, everything I hear about the Valorant community makes me just want to like avoid it and not touch it with like a 30 foot pole. It makes me, it makes Valorant, Valorant makes the rainbow six scene look like club penguin. Damn. Yeah. Wait, wait, is, is club penguin supposed to be friendly? Yeah. It's like all friendly and really nice and cozy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I've met some crazy people in club penguin, bro. I mean, it's supposed to be like, I don't know, Hello Kitty Adventure. What fucking, what, no, what comparison is, do you want that sounds uh, nice? Crazy, bro. Some people get hop on Club Penguin just to start cooking people, bro. You get banned quick, though. I, I think. mean, nobody's nobody's hopping on Club Penguin anymore. RIP. F's in the chat. But I'm not no. going to lie. I used to in the day. I, I was, I would talk shit on Club Penguin. No, I, I, I forget I mean, what about, but I would. The one thing that I will say about our community, and, and this often, this is always what gets lost, is I'll say like, oh, you all shit on Golden Boy, and somebody will always say this. It always happens. It happened on Reddit, by the way, just as I called it on my bang on. Mm -hmm. I said there's going to be somebody who's going to say this. Sure enough, 
there's somebody on Reddit who said it, who's like, oh, so we can't criticize talent anymore? It's like, no, you fucking numbskull. That's not what I mean. Like, me there's saying... There's a difference between criticism and just being like... Super toxic and this, hateful. This guy fucking sucks. Give us Matt back. Yeah, like, and, and just like saying that once, sure. Repeatedly posting that. Dude, the week of the Raleigh Major, I was getting tagged in tweets from people being like, what the fuck is this? Like, at Intero, at Kickstar, at ESL, bring back at Matt Andrews TV, at Golden Boy FTW sucks. What the fuck? And I'm like, why am I getting tagged in these? Like, stop tagging me in these. I have no, I don't have any power. Yep. Like, I loved working with Golden Boy. I have never had a problem working with Matt Andrews. I, there's I like no host I've ever too. had. A, sorry? I liked working with him, too. I was yeah. briefly on to roast you in the, the casters match. Yeah. Hung out with him a bit, talked with him a bit. I yeah. don't know. I, I had no problems with him, but no. And, and I the, mean, like you said, people make mistakes, but yeah, it was just, it was, I didn't pay enough attention to the public side of it. Cause I was fucking going through shit with EG at the time. Yeah. I remember that. I mean, our, our team was, our team was, uh, in the shits. So it was imploding. Yeah. But I, I mean, I had heard about it and yeah, yeah. It was it, not it's fun. It's not what you like to hear. It's no. not what you like to hear. And it's like it got it got so bad that uh, like we had to we we decided as talent to put out tweets addressing it. Mm -hmm. And like Golden Boy openly like addressed it on Twitter because it got to that it got to that point and it's like yeah. you're talking about a guy and who has literally seen it all and done it all and been part of some of the biggest events in esports. He's been around for a decade handpicked by the rock to work on the Titan games for fuck's sakes. Like the guy's reputation and, and, it, and his success speaks for himself. And maybe he's not the best fit for rainbow six siege. Sure. Who knows? I think he's fine. I think he had, I think he made one mistake and it just so happened to be a mistake where, you know, Fabian owned up to it literally on this podcast. He said he shouldn't have said it, said he shouldn't have handled it the way he did. But at the end of the day, it's like if production's telling you somebody's coming, and also, the one thing that a lot of people don't know is that Golden Boy's meet and greet was scheduled for the TSM G2 match, so he didn't get to watch any of it. It was the only time that I didn't see Golden Boy in the green room with us, asking questions, writing things down, watching the matches. And it's like, he was dedicated, I will say that. Like, he wasn't sitting there, like, it's very easy when the match is on in the green room, you're sitting there, you're on your phone, you're fucking around on social media. Golden Boy wasn't. He would check his phone, like, every now and then, but he had a notepad in front of him, he was taking down notes, asking questions, saying, you know, who's who's worth interviewing on this team? You know, should we talk to this person? What questions should I ask about them? You know, I I don't know their entire background story, et cetera. And mm -hmm. anyway, we've talked to Golden Boy thing to death. I, I just think it's a good example. And then the community goes ahead and, and does it to a certain extent with Jess on SI and is now kind of doing it with EUL. And like, I can get it. I think for EUL, it's more that it's like a, it's a tempest in a teapot. Like, it's not that big of a deal, but because everything else seems to suck, like we're all trapped inside, COVID sucks, there's no hope. And then like people hate draws, people hate best of ones. The game is not necessarily in the most enjoyable spot to play either. And I think like all of that kind of just becomes like this perfect storm where the talent is like the easiest thing to criticize. I mean, something you keep in mind, like, okay, we have this talent in the UL. If you bitch at them and be like, these guys fucking suck. Like, what's that going to do? <laughs> like, it's not going to make them better. And we're not just going to magically get better talent. Like, wait, wait, wait. You mean you mean that when you have a bad game and people message you on Twitter and at you and say that you suck, it doesn't immediately improve your skill? 
Exactly. Like people need to realize how unproductive this is. At the end of the day, we need to develop more talent. Yeah. Like there, there's a reason we do, we do. Like we have a we have a shortage of tier one talent in Siege. Period. There's yes. no arguing that. There's no denying that. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. Like fucking every caster we have is tier one. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I don't think anyone should think that's the case. But the only way we're going to develop it is you give them time to work together to improve. And some of them, not even all of them, because that's not how it fucking works. Not everyone just becomes great at what they do. Yeah. Some of them will develop to be tier one casters. And then we can be happy with that. But like, until then, yeah, you got to let them develop. Like, it is what it is. Like, we're not, we're not just going to like magically get fucking some like top notch CSGO caster. Like, why, why the fuck is he going to leave CSGO to come cast Siege? Like, well, maybe if they want to pay the, less like, taxes and take a massive pay cut. Exactly. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. Just at the end of the day, like, give them time. Like, it literally does nothing by saying, like, this talent's shit. Like, okay. Like, what are, what are we going to do about it? If you, like, you couldn't even tell me. Like, I, I could not find, like, better talent to hire for, like, some of these leaks. Like, the only, the only argument you can make is that, like, I think that Ace didn't get hired into EUL, but he is doing Brazil, um, which, I mean, is good news. But, like, th that was, like, the one question mark for me was that Ace wasn't doing EUL. But, like, that's it. Uh, Des tweeted, let me, let me find it. To me, it makes no sense that... So, I will say this because I, I don't want to piss off anybody. But what I will say is... Um, uh, I, I think that the smartest move for EUL is to build their core talent roster around the Ace and Dez combo. You know? I, I, I'm not going to rate every casting pair other than Kix and myself... But I will say that if you're in Europe, I don't think there is a current better European duo than Ace and Dez. And I think that they are good enough to carry the casting of that league, regardless of who you throw around them. Now, when you fill in, you know, great analysts, like you've got Jess, you've got Dev, you've got Zeronic, they have tons of skill doing analysis. It's very clear now that both Jess and Dev are more than comfortable doing casting as well. You've got Milos, who is, you know, really coming to his own as, as a host. And then you've got Hap and Geo who are still learning the ropes and are still learning the game. Hap knows the game, but he's still learning casting. Whereas Geo knows casting, but is still learning the game. I think you've got a pretty good talent roster. I don't know exactly yep. what happened with Ace and Dez. And this is, a, this is really puzzling. And Dez has, has tweeted a number of times. And, and it's always been very... It seems like he's trying to say, it sounds like he's trying to say something, but he can't. Dez tweeted uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday night, actually, saying, in case anyone thinks it, the reason I'm not doing the last two weeks of EU and APAC has nothing to do with me not wanting to move to Paris. I'm not the only talent member planning to commute. Same as the stories about Ace not doing it due to his family. Those are also false. That's all he said. And it's like, it seems like he's alluding to like something bigger. And I mean, I remember, I think it was Dez who tweeted way back that Ace wasn't even approached when EUL was getting off the ground. And I, I said it, I said it before and I'll say it again. I think that's a colossal mistake. You know, I, I was listening to BR6 literally while I was making food before we started this podcast. And I was listening to Ace and Dez and I was just like, oh, 
It's like pouring honey into your ear. You know, I loved it. Don't actually pour honey into your ear, by the way. Unless you want to, and you're an adult, then do whatever the fuck you want. But um, I was listening to it, and I was like, man, I was like, these guys should be the voice of EUL. And I don't say that to take away from the other casters, by all means. Like, don't. But these guys should be the premier duo in EUL. They should be. They're good. They're like, they're not good. Just... They're they're very good. Like they're yes. they're very good already. You know, yes. Ace is very like the one thing I will say about Ace is that he doesn't really have a high enthusiasm. He kind of plateaus when he gets excited. If he can move that energy up a notch, ten out of ten. Dez, I think Dez is extraordinarily good on camera. I think he speaks really well. He's got great wordplay. He's still learning the game. But Ace knows a fucking ton about the game. So they actually work out really well covering each other's deficiencies, but they will improve. And the crazy thing to me is that people are trying to compare these duos. People are even doing right now. They're comparing Ace and Dez to Kix and I. Kix and I have not just been casting, but casting together virtually every region and every Rainbow Six event for three years. And you're going to compare a duo that... Their first real crack at casting together was SI, and then that was it. Like, don't be, don't be they stupid. Fucking they fucking killed it. They did great. Yeah. They did awesome. Like, I remember, I remember seeing so many people saying like they're that they were fucking killing it, and that yeah. like they wish they didn't just do the groups that they would do the main event as well. I wish they did the main event as well. Yeah, now, I genuinely really enjoy listening to the cast, and I say this, you know this. I listen to the stream muted a lot of the time. Yep. As do I. That's not even like, it's just, it is what it is. But like, I genuinely, I I just, I enjoy listening to the cast. It's just like, I have fun. I like, I feel like, I feel like the way I do when I watch, um, like, like another esport where it's just like, I'm watching like as a fan. Yep. I will say like a lot of the time I don't watch like that. Like I'm just watching to learn or, uh, to prep whatever, but. Like, I feel like I'm, like I'm watching like a fan and I just enjoy the casting. I enjoy the match when, when I listen to them. And I mean, I think that's great. And like you said, uh, I think, yeah, they should be the the voice of EU. But yeah, I that, think, that was big. I think the I think the part of it is that Rainbow Six casting is very American. If you listen to any other esport, Overwatch is also very American to a certain extent. But every other esport outside of that, given that it is really a, they're all global they've got a lot of influences outside of the region and then when i say american style is it's like kind of that american broadcaster not much personality kind of just like here's casting i cast exactly the same as everybody else and our scene is really brutal when people try to stray from that kicks and i can get away with the banter and the jokes and all that shit that we do because a we have never fucking cared what the community says like a lot of casters like will make jokes and shit. And then the community will send them a bunch of hateful Twitter messages and hateful ats and all this shit. And then those casters will feel scared because they piss people off. Kicks and I don't give a fuck. If you think our humor is stupid or cringy or whatever, then mute the stream or just don't listen. We don't care. Like I'm not going to sacrifice like a good style of commentary, which is like banter heavy in especially matches that aren't really high stakes just because a bunch of dickheads don't understand jokes and spam. Ha cringe in the chat. Um, but it's like, I find that if you watch CSGO, unless it's a major LAN event, most CSGO casting is quite relaxed. It's quite conversational. There's not a lot of hype. There's a lot of humor. There's a lot of downtime. And there's only a couple really explosive rounds of action. If we try to do that in Rainbow Six, like 
no offense, but it's like the Challenger League match that we did on Friday was literally for third place or second place in the group of the first stage of CL. It's as low stakes as you're going to get. And I know that if we just kind of dialed it in, just kind of done like a fun, goofy cast, which frankly, that level of competition really warrants, we would have been raked over the coals for it, for being like low energy or blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of people who watch Rainbow Six who want us to cast every single matchup like it's the six invitational finals. And that's just not how it's going to be. It's, that's not doable. And it's bad casting because if everything's a 10, then nothing's a 10. Because when you finally yeah. do see a 10, it's not going to feel like it. Right. Which is the main knock I have against a lot of newer casters is they like blow up and get super excited and start screaming over like a 2K. And it's like, chill, chill on the chill on the screaming. Um, but that's I the one thing I do like about Desin Ace is they're like really conversational and it's very unique. And it's a style of casting we've never heard in Rainbow Six. And that's what I think people like so much about it is that it's so different from what you've heard before. Agreed. That's um. This puts us at a good point to now jump off into the Twitter drama involving Hyena and Merc. Um, thank you for going through casting stuff while I just had my group therapy session right now. Um, you want to start with Hyena or Merc? Um, maybe Merc. I think that's like more of a broad topic. It. It's not necessarily just about Merc because it kind of applies to everyone in a sense. Yeah. Start off. Sound yeah. off about the Merc situation. I mean, I think most people probably didn't know about it, but just basically, I think obviously Merck hasn't been performing like up to his standards and what a lot of people expect of him. No one's denying that. He's not even denying that, right? Um, it is what it is. But he's, uh, I think he tweeted after their last match against, who was it against? OXG, right? Yeah. Yeah, OXG. Yeah, yeah. And I tweeted basically like that all the hate and stuff on Twitter has been hard and then he's got to take a break from it. Um, I will say, and basically th there's like the differing opinions on it. There's the people that say like, all right, you got to be fucking nicer to the guy, which is true. People are dickheads. Be nicer. It yeah. is what it is. But there's also the side of it that it is the fucking internet and there's going to be dickheads. It is what it is. People are going to be assholes. Um, and there's not a lot you can do about that. Obviously, I mean, we should we should speak out and say like yeah people shouldn't be assholes and people should consider uh that that, that they're, they're like talking to an actual fucking person um but it is kind of part of the job and like you do need to i guess deal with the fact that like it's it's gonna come your way and especially so i will say one thing one thing that i am not big on about the whole situation is that Merck is Merck is one of the people that types like he likes to have the he likes to type good night when he fucking smokes you off the game. I personally, I don't think that. He can be affected as much as like he should be affected as much as he is if he's going to type shit like that. I think he's got to cut the fucking typing until until he gets his shit together. He's got to cut the fucking typing. And he's got to continue to do it until he's going to be able to keep his shit together. Because honestly, it's going to give people more ammo. And like, like you, yeah, you can't you can't be throwing punches if you can, you can't take the heat back, right? Um, it's like the saying, just, "Talk shit, get hit." That's a good way to put it. But yeah, he, uh, like I I feel bad for Merck because like I mean I've been there. 
and the first time someone's dealing with that, like, yeah, it fucking sucks. Like, uh, it is what it is. But, um, so I, like, I feel bad for him. And I, I, I want, like, I want him to get past it and everything like that. But like, just being real with him, like he's, he's got a, like, just fucking ignore it, bro. Fuck him. Like, there's a reason he, he's, there's a reason he's a player on that team. There's a reason why he's like, got the following he got, like the guy's fucking good at the game. Right. There's no denying it. You're not going to be able to convince me that Merck's not fucking crazy at siege, um, but yeah, like he's just whatever. Ignore him. I mean, obviously, I think there's like also a lot of shit that he got. I think he like posted a TikTok of his girlfriend or something, um, and then like people gave him a bunch of shit about it, saying it was cringe, all sorts of stuff like that. And I think that added onto it as well. Didn't um, wasn't there also a little bit of commentary regarding like why are you making tiktoks with your girlfriend when your stats suck which is a, a really dumb thing to say but i did I see a lot of that see that i didn't read much of it yeah but like because because you know you're I not mean, allowed to do more than one thing you're not you're not yeah. allowed to do anything but this is one it's thing ridiculous. that's it but yeah uh, i don't know i uh I think I think he can handle it better, but I do think people are fucking assholes. So, I uh, I don't know. I also think he's a kid. Yes. And uh, I mean, he goes from having a couple hundred followers on Twitter to like, what is he? Almost at thirty thousand in the span of a year. Like, he was down in Challenger League on OC like last summer. Hasn't even been a year yet. And he's mm -hmm. been gifted, you know, a, a significant higher following on Twitter than a ton of pros. And it's like he gets insane traction. He tweets anything and it just blows up. And I think you said it correctly where it's like. I don't I don't agree in regards to like the it's the Internet. I never have like the Internet is now not the Internet anymore. It is it is so much real life. And especially during COVID, it is probably more real life than real life right now. Um, and it's like, you know, that whole, like, oh, if you're being cyberbullying, just, you know, walk off the internet. It's like, we are so hopelessly yeah. intertwined with the internet. You can't just not use the internet. It doesn't work that way. Um, and I think that given the, especially what's happened recently with a bunch of Twitch streamers, unfortunately, um, taking their own lives, a lot of them talking specifically about the code of conduct online and how people treat each other online. I think we have a very important conversation to have regarding the fact that we need to be nicer. Like how many first name bunch of numbers, shitty fucking Twitter accounts do you see on a daily basis? Just saying the dumbest thing like Keith zero six, nine, two, four, five calling you a slur or something like that. And you're like default Twitter avatar, like great. And it's like, what does it do? And then you get a couple people doing that. Like it gets to you. It does get mm. to you. It used to get to me like back in the day when I was first starting out, I would get criticism from somebody with like one follower fake profile could be a bot and it would tear me up. You know, you never you never show that it gets to you, but it's still it's still annoying. Right. Well, and, it's, first, it, for sure. and for Merck, the thing for me is it's like on the one hand, you can say, yeah, it's just the Internet. But I think the, I think the bigger thing with Merck is that you're right. He's the guy that is, he, frankly, he talks shit all game to his teammate or to his opponents. Yeah. Like you're the guy that's like saying good night and stuff like that. And like making jokes and like teabagging in game and like the GG's like, you know, good night. Don't ever type again. Thank you. Like 
you give off by doing that, you give off an edge like, fuck you, I'm going to say what I want. Yeah. Which is going to prompt people to adopt that attitude when talking to you as well. Yes. So if you're going to talk a lot of shit, you're going to invite people to talk that same shit back to you, especially if they don't like you. And you need to be ready for that. And that's where media training comes in. And unfortunately, none of these, you know, cyber pro athletes, none of them get it. Nobody gets proper media training. There's no outlet there. I don't know about Merck. Does he have a, does he have a healthy social circle? Can he log off and go hang out with real life friends that aren't teammates? Does he have pals from back home? Does he have parents he can talk to? Does he, you know, does he have anything else to go to? Not probably not really. Most gamers don't. They're so intertwined with this community that it's like, you can't take a breather. Mm-hmm. So like, what's the solution? I guess like just develop thicker skin. Like I feel like given what's happened on Twitch and Twitter recently with people literally dying, that that's not a real solution. So like, what is, I don't know. He's, he's announced he's taking a break from Twitter. Is that the solution? I mean, he he's going to have to develop thicker skin. And I think he will. Like you, you said, he's a kid. I mean, like you said, you, you were probably affected. You were affected by a lot more when you first started as well. I was 27 when I started. Exactly. And you were still affected at first. And like, I I was the same way when I, when I first started playing professionally, like at first I would, I would watch the VOD and I'd read Twitch chat and fucking I'd read shit and I'd be like, Oh fuck my bad. Like I'd read some shit and it it would hurt a little bit. And I realized that, Hey, there's going to be a lot of fucking people that are going to say some shit like that. And there's also going to be a lot of people that are going to say nice things. And I actually posted like a, a quote tweet to him or I tweeted a quote to him. And it was uh, like uh, when it, leadership uh, brings like a lot of praise and criticism and like you can't be unduly affected by either something along those lines. I don't remember the exact words. Right. Um, you love your you love your tweets. You I love do. your quote tweets. The coach quotes. The coach love quotes. those. Love them love them but yeah it, it, but it's true though like people are gonna gas you up and you can't you can't take it i i think that's part of it too is that i think like merc and his typing too i think part of it was he's re- receiving the praise too and it really built him up and then he started to do poorly and that's when you get the other side of it and you have you have to be able to take both and like i've received the same as well because at first i was winning on the game and i was loud and fucking screaming on stage and stuff like that. People loved it and they're hyping me up. Yeah. You don't do that anymore. Yeah. But, I, but then I started losing, then I started losing and then I started getting cooked. Right. And that's like, that's how it's going to be. And now I don't get cooked nearly as much on Twitch chat because I'm winning again. Like it's just, it's going to be back and forth. That's how it's going to be. And you just, you have to realize that. I, I do think he has to go through, like you have to go through it to realize it. Right. Like, he only had the high, like he didn't have the low before. Now he has the yeah. low. And I think he's going to process it a bit. And he's going to realize, okay, like if I have a bad game, people are going to react just to that bad game. They're going to forget about the whole bigger picture. Um, and yeah, it's going you know, to take some time to realize that. Um, I think taking a break from Twitter is good. I mean, I don't think he, something like I do sometimes is, yeah, like if, if I don't want to, I just, I don't fucking read anything. I just, I tweet and I DM and that's it. I haven't, yeah. I haven't told you that before. Like I just, I start using WhatsApp more stuff as well. 
Oh, no, I, um, I noticed you used to, there was a period of time where, you know, I we joked about it at an event. We were neck and neck and like Twitter interaction and like growth and stuff like that. And then I think it was around the time of the Raleigh Major, you just kind of fell off. You just stopped using Twitter. You stopped streaming. You just basically disappeared and you burrowed yeah. into, you burrowed into your team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously I, I was going through the shit, so. I need yeah. some I need to figure some things out. So oh, I think it was why. very I think it was very well deserved your break. Yeah. So I mean I, I think you do that. Uh I, I don't even think I mean I, I didn't say anything publicly because I didn't need to. Like I just knew that I needed to take a break from and just focus on myself, focus on the team and just I mean, I'll tweet GG's, I'll still stay active. Um because like you said, it is like part of our lives. Like we we like I can't like delete Twitter, right? Like if I if I like completely deleted Twitter, never had Twitter, like that'd be a problem. Like it's in, a requirement in this, space, like, in this industry. Yeah, it's it, not it just is. a requirement, but it is also a huge benefit too if you have a big following. Yeah, it is. Um and I mean like that's not even like just like that's not even to say like like, oh yeah, you gotta play the impressions and like not be genuine and try to build yourself up and stuff like that. No, it's just so that people people fucking know you. Like yeah. To get yourself out there, because otherwise you're just a fucking name on the scoreboard, and that's it, right? Like people don't, people would have no idea who I am otherwise. Um, and social media is a big part of that. Obviously, there's content on the side of that that helps as well. But yeah, social media is a big part of that. So yeah, um, staying involved on it is is important. It's not just important. I think it's it's critical, and this can actually transition us into the the last topic before we go into some questions. Um, which is hyena because I think it's it's talking about your your career post esports, which it sure it certainly seems like hyena is is gearing up for. Um, but what I will say is that there are a lot of people who get into esports with zero transferable skills. They either don't have a degree or they don't have previous work experience or they don't have a network or friend circle outside of gaming, and their entire life is this industry. And then God forbid you become bad or the meta shifts, and next thing you know. You go from being one of the greatest players in the region to nobody's picking you up on a team. And even if you do get picked up, you might struggle and you never, you're never able to recapture that magic. So what do you do? You spend four years living at your parents' house, trying to play competitively, scraping together a couple thousand dollars from winnings. And then eventually this game dies or you move on. And what are you left with? You have nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing that I would encourage every single player slash caster to do is grow your fucking brand. Yeah, Twitter's hell. It's fucking awful. I hate Twitter. But if you do not have Twitter in this industry, you are handicapping yourself harder than anything else. Twitter is the portal for people in esports. When you go to events and you meet an influencer or you meet somebody that's a caster, you meet a TO or something along those lines, you know what you exchange? You don't exchange emails, you exchange Twitters. Because Twitter brings legitimacy and Twitter is a a very public portal and a way to connect with people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I see these casters and I see these players that with, with all due respect, yeah, they want to focus on their, their game. But I see these players who are like middle of the pack and they don't use Twitter and they don't use Twitch. And I'm like, you're one bad season away from never playing pro again. And you have nothing to fall back on. You don't stream, you don't produce content. You're not really that interesting on social media. So people don't have a reason to follow you. It's like, grow that tweet funny things, tweet coach quotes. If you want like stream, do Instagram. 
I mean, do just TikTok whatever, if you want. Whatever you like. like yeah, but like grow cool. your brand. And maybe some people don't want to do that. Fine. But it's like, there have been a lot of conversations recently uh, that I've seen among people in the industry, most of whom are casters and talent who are like, well, what the fuck do I do now that I'm not working events? And it's mm -hmm. like, you stream. What do you mean? What do I do? You're, you're a face or a voice of the game. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I find it so common and it's like players do this to a certain extent, but I also find that there are casters who do this as well. And I'm not going to call out any casters, but there are casters in other esports who literally, they don't really use Twitter. And if they do, it's boring. All they do is show up, cast matches, and then go home. This is an industry where you get out of it what you put into it. If you want, if you're good enough to just show up and then leave and then you can collect a check, sure, all the power to you. But I know how much money a lot of people in this industry are making and they are not making enough money to retire off of and certainly not enough to live well off of. And they are not, and they are not good enough to immediately jump to another esport if their esport dies. Mm -hmm. So you are, you are killing yourself by not going into Twitch or not doing content online because you have nothing to fall back on. And especially yeah. now there have been talent who have worked only like one or two online events since like February, March, like you're making, like maybe they're making a grand a day at most, depending on the game. Yeah. That is nowhere near enough to live off of over the last five months. And it's not going to get any better. So it's like stream. And it's a problem that we have, honestly. And I hate that you've kind of fallen off of social media because you were always like so consistently good. And now Fabian is also kind of pulled back from social media. And it's just like, we've well, lost two of like the best people for making content, like within our scene. And now both of them are just like quiet. Twitter is not as bad. I kind of keep up with Twitter still. Yeah. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's hard to add stuff. I try to tweet during matches or stuff like that. Um, yeah, Twitter, Twitter is something that I want to keep more up with, and I try to. Um, but like streaming, streaming is tough. I feel like that it's a lot more demanding, um, at least like as a pro player. It, and if you want to really grow your stream, right? Like if I really want to grow my stream, I got to stream Siege, period. It's hard to stream Siege right now. It Dude, is. I have had zero inch. I have a charm in the game. It is, yeah. it is a license to print money for everybody who has one. And I have zero compulsion to stream this game right now. Yeah. Just no interest. It's tough right now. It's really and, tough. And it only like, it'll only affect my job. Like if I, if I force myself to stream siege, like I'm going to be in a bad mood for practice. I'm going to be very unmotivated outside of the game and motivated just in the game as well. Like to get on for practice, it's not going to be good. So like I'm trying to, I mean, obviously, it's just trying to find the balance, right, of being able to, yeah, like, continue to grow my brain and, yeah, like, contribute to social media and all that, but still just be in a good spot for uh, for competitive siege. I think Twitter's, like, kind of the, the, the sweet spot for that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I got to I gotta try to chip in more there. I don't think I've been too bad, but, yeah, I've definitely had phases where I've fallen out of it, and I think that's just when it gets really serious with the team. And honestly, probably something I could be better about is probably like tweeting something like that when i'm in that kind of uh that kind of period of time where it's just i'm really focused on the team and just not even thinking to tweet yeah um, but yeah it, it is important to to do it it's huge i don't think it's uh 
I don't I don't think it's second nature to most people. You know, a lot of gamers are introverts. That's why they don't do more social hobbies. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think if you look at most of the people in our scene, in our community, a lot of them are, are relatively quiet. They're pretty shy. Uh, the only time I really ever see them like loosen up is at events when they've had like one or two drinks and then they totally come alive, um, which is pretty standard for everybody. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I find it really scary, you know, because like I have things to fall back on outside of gaming. I, but I know that there are a lot of people that don't a lot, most, if not an overwhelming majority of the people in this community, if siege disappeared tomorrow, they'd be fucked, utterly fucked, you know? And, you know, you might have some savings. Sure. But number one, the economy right now is not really going to be in a good place for probably a couple years. And two, what are you going to go back to school? And then, then you're going to set yourself back a couple years before you get your degree. And I mean, that's admirable, but start setting yourself up now. And if you think like you're good at it or content creation is a thing, et cetera, like go into it. And I got to say, you know, I'm nobody in particular, nobody in particular, but there are definitely people that are still even in pro league that are first cut on a lot of teams or in challenger league or trying to get into challenger league that probably should have retired a season or two ago and tried getting into coaching or tried getting into casting and they don't. And unfortunately like they're missing the boat on that because we're getting to a point now where coaches are starting to get picked up. Yeah. You might be able to get a job, but it's a definitely riskier now, but it's like, you're going to soldier on through the, you know, through the depths of hell in amateur scene to try and get back into pro league on a wing and a prayer there's a lot of teams with players like that right now in NA Challenger League in particular, not even including Europe. In an NA Challenger League, you know, you've got players that should have given up. And I don't even say give up, but they should have transitioned and realized that I understand. And I know that you can probably speak to this more than anybody else. The drive to compete is one that is almost impossible to silence. But at the same time, there comes a time where your head and your heart need to align and you need to realize, hey, I'm not actually as good as I thought I would be, maybe I can make more money or set myself up for something better long-term somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to speak on it because I don't know how I'd be in this situation. Thankfully. So like, even when my teams have dropped, like when EG was going through it, I mean, I still believed I was good. I still believed EG had potential to be good. I obviously we had to make changes or I had to leave whatever, like things need to be done. But I still believed I was good, and I was. I wasn't wrong, yeah. thankfully. Um, I don't know, like, the thing is, I don't know, like, if it's the same situation with other people, like, if they're, maybe they're, they're like, not at the top level anymore. Like, maybe, yeah, it'd be worth it for them to go into coaching or casting or whatever. But, like, they can't realize it. Like, they think they're good, and, I, like, I maybe I would be the same in that position. I try to be real with myself in that sense. Like, I think I did an inter. Uh oh. Oh what? boy. Heads up. There's smoke. You hear that? The alarm. The alarm. I got a. I got a fucking story about this one. This fucking thing, bro. <laughs> I think. Dude, like dude, did about Rampy it. just it set happened. a record in T hunt and your fire alarms oh. went off? It happened at four. Nothing even goes on. 
it just it goes it does this warning over and over again. It goes, <laughs> it goes heads up. There's smoke in the office. The alarm the alarm will sound. The alarm is loud, and it just keeps on fucking doing it. And it happened at <laughs> four in the fucking morning, bro. And it wouldn't give it a fucking rest. And me, like, and then Nade were just in our group chat. We're like, dude, will this bitch shut up? And then the actual alarm went off, and we're just standing out there. We're like, turn this off. We unplugged them. Whenever I make, uh, I'm sure they're handling it though, so I think it'll stop. What hasn't gone off? Good. And you've got a number of people in your house, so yeah, it's gotten to the point where I'm I took down the smoke alarm that's like over near my kitchen because it is, I don't know, dude. It is it is as sensitive as a standard Twitter user because it's just like the moment the tiniest bit of smoke happens, it goes off and it does not stop. It will go off for like five minutes. And I'm like, there's nothing. It got to the point where I've just taken it down. I'll just throw it into another room because I don't want to fucking deal with it and just like put it up later and hope that I remember and the house doesn't burn down. And then we have, there's another one, like, so right outside my room, there's like a loft mm-hmm. that's like me, Fultz, and Nate are up here and there's like a loft outside of it. And the smoke, the alarm there doesn't in fucking Spanish for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were out there at night, like I, I just kept hearing it. The, the same alarm in English in here. And then I went out there when I was actually going off and I hear it in Spanish. Like, what the fuck is going on? This is a good one. <laughs> all right. Anyway. All right. So let's get into the, uh, let's get into the, the hyena part now, by the way, this is our last topic before we I get gotta, into questions. I got to pull up his tweets, bro. Dude, that man went. He had a bunch of them. He's off. got more probably. He does have more. I mean, he, yeah. I, I mean, he clearly loves it. Does, um, does lo- he love it? Do you think he loves it? Oh, he loves it. Okay. He loves it. There, there's no way you're tweeting stuff like that if you don't love it. Like, he enjoys doing this. He was in here the other day. Uh, he was in here during the coaches thing, I think, and he said, tell Troy he looks cute. And I don't think I ever relate it to you. So, oh. But I don't want to tell you Let's now see. because I don't know if he thinks you look cute today. So, Damn. Fuck. Yeah. Well, I appreciated it nonetheless. Thanks, Keon. Yeah, thanks. Keon's a good guy. I like Keon. I I do I as well. I will say that I think the way that he handled the situation with Ubisoft was not great. Um, when I went I in agree. on that, I think it I think it was a dumb way to deal with it. Um, and I think that he put the blame wrongly, squarely on the shoulders of a company that was largely just following rules, and that he should have looked inwards at his own org as the culprit for most of the, you know, the heartburn that they had to deal with. But mm-hmm. it's a conversation for another day. Yeah, but I mean, as far as his tweets go, I mean, I think there was one, there was one that I went back and forth on him uh, with. Let me find it. Yeah, so I, I saw that because he kind of he kind of called you out and SSG out about buying players. Yeah, we so we talked afterwards um, to clear things up, and I don't think I don't think his intention was to call us out. It was more so I want to read the tweet so I can give everyone context. Right. Um, oh, here it is. Okay. So there's a series of them. First, he like tweets something. Basically, uh, someone like wanted his opinion on crazy, and he gave his opinion on crazy. Basically, that like people just keep picking him up because they know he has pro league experience. I don't think crazy is too bad of a player. I do agree that like there's probably some like younger players that it might be worth taking a risk on. But like just because like crazy's been around forever, like maybe 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 like maybe doesn't have like what it takes to be at the absolute top. Right. Also, crazy, go ahead and shut me up. Like. By all means, I know, I think he has a pretty good attitude about that, but um, he's been around forever and he hasn't kind of leveled up in that sense, I guess, if you know right. what I'm saying. No, no, um, I feel you. 
journeyman this is this is the part of the journeyman one was so good because journeymen aren't even bad like journeyman is just like somebody who's like good enough to keep landing on teams it's not like somebody who's shit that just gets picked up like i thought that was kind of like a weird i mean it's accurate i think he what he's getting at though is he thinks like newer players should be take like people should take the risk on um he did say something sure like follow he followed up said Pro League is politics and clout-based a lot of the time, unfortunately. That's why PL players like Rex and Drip, Butters, etc., who are better than 40% of PL. I think that's a very big exaggeration. I think that is extremely charitable of a number. That's I I, yes. I disagree with that one. Uh, Nate, Nate actually replied to it because, yeah, that, that that's that's a stretch. Yeah. Um, and he said, make your teammates your friends, not your friends your teammates. That That's a good point. I I mean, the top, and he said the best teams already know this, which is true. Um. I don't know though. Like, I don't know. I'm not familiar with all the teams and the roster changes they make, so I don't know what teams are making those kind of decisions. But I feel like for the most part, like people are going for like some of the better options. I mean, some people view like players differently. Like, there's sometimes where I've seen people pick a player up, and I'm like, eh, they probably could have got this guy instead. But that that's just like down to yeah. how you view the game and what you think your team. Needs. So uh, I can't really argue that. Like, teach their own, right? Um, anyways, and then Nade replied to him, like, just Nade, Nade said he was spewing shit, basically. Yeah, I saw um, that one. And then Hyuna tweeted, uh, where is it? For those Did of he you delete that... it? He might have deleted it. No, he said something like, for those of you that spewed shit. Oh, he actually deleted it. It's not here. Are you oh, sure? Wait. No, no, here it is. Okay. Gonna Players say... who want to run their mouths. I, I couldn't see it. Players who want to run their mouths, remember you guys have orgs that will and have fronted money for whatever you player you wanted not everyone pl has an org like that remember who you qualify for pl with would you rather have been this would you have been as successful with that star player buyout shut the fuck up and then obviously i i had a problem with that because i mean i disagree with you were a star player who got bought out (laughs) yeah i guess so but also just i was on one of those top teams and i don't think like on eg we were never successful because we bought players at we right. the only player we ever bought out was Geo. And honestly, like in terms of the big picture, we got worse with Geo. I mean, right? you like, tried like, to be fair, you did try to buy out no, other we, players. Yes, we did. We didn't get them. Yeah, you did not. So, so you tried. So the spirit cannot, was there. You, yes. But success cannot be like our, our success did not come from buyouts, right? right? Like our most successful run was Myself, Nate, Amar, Young, and BC, right? Mm-hmm. That was our most successful five. And that was our lineup when we were CTM. When we weren't paid, like, that, that was when, right? That's when, that's when you just played the game. Like, we, at the time on CTM, like, I think we got paid, it was like $500 for a season. So it was like $500 for three months. Like, and yep. I mean, like, I mean, that was fine. You, you okay getting paid in G Fuel, by like, the way? We, do, we got no G Fuel. <laughs> Good, you're probably jerseys. better for it. G Fuel's garbage. The main reason we actually joined CTM is because Exec and Smack were actually pretty big streamers in the game. We joined yep. to build build our brand, basically. Because they would Smack went to TSM brand, and it worked. for PUBG? Yes. He went to TSM for PUBG. And, and he, still, he still stayed on. TSM R6. Yeah. I think, or Exec is, and, T- and Smack's something else. But they, they work within TSM. Um, 
but we joined them because they had they could offer like building our brand and stuff and it actually worked out because i mean as you can see with george george is fucking huge now he yeah. george he'll even say it when we were on ctm he used to he would he would stream all the time after scrims and he would get the fucking smack host boost up the viewership boost up the numbers and i mean the big thing with george is george was consistent he just kept at it forever like yeah i think since he joined ctm he consistently streamed until now like he's missed like fucking two days since or something i mean when george. he got when he got dropped from ctm he streamed for like two months by like i got benched and it was like yeah. even then his growth george's growth has been really fascinating because i remember he would be on at the perfect time for me in poland because we would wrap up na pro league I'd come mm -hmm. home. It would be probably like 6.30 in the morning because we'd start Pro League at 2 a.m., 1 a.m. depending on the time zone. So I'd come home at like 6.30 in the morning, which would be midnight or just after midnight, 12.30 technically on the East Coast. George would be mm -hmm. George would be the middle of his stream because he used to stream like 10 to 4. So I would sit up and I'd watch and, you know, this was obviously a mistake that has reduced my sanity over the course of years, but I would sit up and watch him for three and a half hours. Um, and it was like at the time, uh, fall 2017, I really wish it still said King George sucks, but I had to change mm -hmm. it because this is more important. But anyway, um, this is infinitely more important. Um, he would only get like 800 to a thousand viewers. You know, I remember he would start to pick up when everybody else would be offline and it would be like, 2 30 to 3 a.m his time right before the morning eu crew would come on he would be pretty much the only person streaming rainbow six at that time other than that z rhino games kid who you bought it out his fucking dick but like for people who didn't know z rhino games that story is so fucking funny pojo's digest clip where he messaged that like was a hundreds hundreds of people in his chat just saying like are you a real person and all of them were bots Mm -hmm. um but no george would be the only person streaming like literally the next person on the board would be like some random like 60 viewer andy that nobody'd ever heard of that was only getting views because they weren't george but they were also streaming at the same time um yep. and george would be peaking at like 800 to a thousand and now george sits somewhere between three to four thousand so even his growth has been huge since then the whole game is really blown up but yep. um but um no, the hyena thing is the hyena thing is funny because I don't know much about LG. Uh, I have a soft spot for them because they're a Canadian slash Toronto based org, just as reciprocity was. Mm -hmm. Um I will say that I've heard terrible stories about them from other esports. Um, both COD and CSGO, uh having friends in those industries have both told me just how dreadful dealing with them was. And I mean I'm not going to name them because I know the chat will name them. But I mean, we've had orgs that have come into Rainbow Six that frankly, I don't ever want coming back into our community again because they were shit. They were absolutely fucking garbage, you know, and maybe they're fine in other games. I was willing to give LG a shot and they seem to care about their team quite a bit. Um, but then as time went on, I started hearing stories about how, you know, the, the team, the funny thing is, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I have... I have players from LG being like, we've never met anybody on the team. They don't really answer our emails. Like we don't like we get paid. Okay. But like, they just kind of set us up in Vegas and then just like left us, you know, like, and you know, then the hyena tweeted later on in that thread, like we had to use our own money to buy out slash, which is never a sign of a supportive org, by the way, 
If your org is not willing to help you buy out a player, that means that either the org thinks that you're not worth the money or they don't have the money. That's just how it works. Right. And then people be like, oh, well, Penta had to buy out, you know, Kanto Ricketti. And it's like, yeah. And the G2 roster fucking hated Penta and wanted to leave for years, but couldn't like that. It that just depends what the buyout is, though, too. Also true. Um, also actually, true. I don't even know if I can. I'm not going to disclose anything because I don't even know if I'm allowed to. So I know I've heard when there's high buyouts, like, like 70 grand buyouts. So I yeah, get it. It's a lot of money. With high buyouts, I can understand like players having to chip in, like a yeah, bit. like take a pay cut for a couple months or whatever to be able to buy a player out. I can understand yeah. that because it makes sense. Um, but I like I don't know what Slash's buyout was. Yeah, I don't. But I, I also I also saw. I want to say I also saw in this. This isn't even to say that it was good on LG's end, but apparently, like the way Hyena said, it probably wasn't the best. Apparently, it was only Factor that took the pay cut. Yeah, that's what I saw in the thread as well. Factor's like, I'm the only one that actually took a pay cut. Yeah. Which is funny because I remember super tweeting at them at the height of the drama being like, Factor, why are you defending these guys so much? They've like, they've already told all of us they want to drop you. And I was just like, why is this stuff getting spilled in public? I was like, come uh, on. That's Seth. that's Seth. But it's like, I, I've heard, uh, I know that uh, there have been players that have been bought out for 50K. Um, the mm-hmm. highest I've heard is 70K which a lot of people in chat are like, what the fuck? It's like CSGO players buyouts are like 300K plus. Yeah. Like that's nothing, <laughs> you know, it league, league players are bought out for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, yeah. And people don't get that. And they're like 70 G is so much money. And it's like, well, maybe, but not in other esports. It's not, you know, yeah. people are saying what's a buyout for it. So you can buy the contract off an org. Let's say somebody wants Pengu off of G2. If Space Station is like our IGL is old, he's got the worst gun in the game. We're thinking about upgrading. SSG drives up to the G2 headquarters in Berlin and backs up a dump truck full of money and says, here's 600,000 euros. Give us Pengu. Then you have to buy his contract. He can't just Mm -hmm. go wherever he wants. Right. Um, But the thing with LG was that uh, it's funny. Because Hyena releases that twit longer. And this was information that I am now comfortable making public. But at the time, in the, in the midst of it, I didn't want to drag anybody in. And I didn't want the players who were still allowed to live in Vegas at the time. Which is why I didn't say anything. Because mm. LG was like, oh, we're going to let our players live in Vegas so graciously until we solve this. And it's like, at best, you're spending a couple thousand dollars for one extra month of rent. Fuck off. You know, like, you're not actually being that nice. It's nothing in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Anyway. Um... Hyena releases his twit longer, and I answered back being like, it sounds like LG shoulders a lot of this blame. And then the CEO of LG responds to me directly refuting what Hyena had said publicly, mm-hmm. which is that they were that they were told last minute. And that the, the CEO of LG was like, oh no, we let them know right away. And I'm like, if you let them know right away, why were they informed of this by another team? that already knew ahead of time in a scrim that then prompted your players to come to you and say, wait, are we getting kicked out of pro league? What the fuck? And the funny thing is, is that while their CEO is like in my mentions being like, that's false. We told them right away. One of the LG players DM'd me and was like, yeah, this tweets a lie. I could screen cap that and post it. 
So like, and, and it's like at the time, I'm not going to go public with this stuff because I don't want the players getting in trouble because it's not, it doesn't matter. And I don't want the players being like imperiled because I bet you anything in order to agree to stay in the team house for an extended period of time and still have their salary got paid. They probably had a clause that was added in some contract somewhere that is a non-defamation clause. You can't slander your former employer. This is very mm -hmm. common. A lot of times when you get a golden handshake and you get money to fuck off from a company, they put in there that you can't defame your former employer for X amount of years. Yeah. And I have no doubt that that's probably in there somewhere. Yep. I would bet you your bottom dollar. So obviously that's having a player slide in into my DMs and being like, hey, this is actually a lie. I'm not going to risk your, your player's safety. Now we're past mm -hmm. that point and I'm never going to say which player it was, but at the end of the day, like don't come in and lie in my DMS and make me look like a fucking idiot. When I've got, I, at that point I, I had three of the five LG players at some point over the previous month or two openly shit talk LG's handling of the process, but you never saw it publicly. And it really pissed me off. It really mm -hmm. pissed me off. Cause it's like, you'll say these things in private that you hate your org to a certain extent, but then you won't, say it publicly instead you're going to shit on ubisoft who like i said i think ubisoft made some mistakes as well in the in the initial onset of all this but like be be fair right like and it, it bothered me it, it irritated me because it's like i don't care if ubisoft is to blame or ubisoft is perfect i don't care if lg is perfect or lg is to blame what i care about is that the proper story gets out mm -hmm. and that players who didn't deserve to get shit on got shit on and then I love that people also said to me, they're like, oh, well, it's very clear you don't care about the players. It's like, remind me who was on the team at that time in LG. What what player in particular that I would care about was on LG at the time that was losing his spot? Jarvis? And you're mm -hmm. saying I don't care? You're saying I don't care that like one of my closest friends is now losing his job and possible yeah. livelihood? Go, go away. Mm -hmm. Go away. The hyena thing. Why do you think he's coming and blasting everybody? What do you think the? I mean, I think it's just he he feels like he can say something now because he doesn't care, right? Yeah. Like he's not gonna. I think he's just embracing the fact like he's not gonna come back and play siege, probably. Well, he got banned. I mean, yeah, exactly. He got banned, so that that helps it. So yeah, just doesn't care anymore and just gonna just gonna let it rip. And I mean, it is entertaining. It was, um, it made my fucking night. Yeah, it's entertaining. So he's going to, he's going to say what a lot of people think, but don't say. Yeah. Kind of like Seth. Like, that's why Seth is so entertaining. Um, obviously, there's other parts of Seth as well, but. Uh, if he yeah. doesn't delete the tweets. Yes. Keep but him that's up, why he Seth. That's it out there. Um, yeah, just basically, I think he just doesn't give a shit anymore and just wants to let her rip. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff he says. Like. There's a lot of stuff he says where, like, he's saying that, like, a lot of people are thinking that they don't, they don't, but, like, I just, like, the, the, like, butters drip and Rexon being better than 40% of Pro League is not fucking true. Yeah, I think that's, the butters thing in particular was interesting because I like butters a lot. I don't know much about him. I think as a caster, I focus more on stories than stats. You might mm -hmm. be the opposite where you probably care more about how they perform in game and you really don't give a shit to a certain extent, yeah. like at what their story is. Right. But yeah. Butters goes from getting kicked out of his house and like every gamer knows somebody who wants to game and gets kicked out of their house or threatened to get kicked out of their house for playing video games. Like it, it happens. There's still stigma yeah. around it. 
And I want to say to those of you that are impressionable in chat, for some of you, do your fucking schoolwork and stop playing video games. Okay. And I want to make sure that that's abundantly clear. But if you are somebody who is quite as talented at a game as Butters is, if you're a gold two and you're like, but mom, I'm going to go pro. No, you're not. Do your fucking AP calculus work. Stop playing video games. Anyway, um, for Butters, I thought his story was great. You know, he was, he was homeless. He was living on a couch. He makes pro league. You can't get much of a better story than that. But I mean, his stats spoke for themselves in the second half of the season. They picked up Mark to come in for sloppy and then Butters stats were poor. They weren't yep. good. And he was playing like what? Zofia and Jaeger. And he was just, yeah. he was doing awful. Like you can't like, what's your defense of not dropping somebody when that happens? Like, unless there's some massive issue with team chemistry, why, why wouldn't you move somebody off of that role? Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily bad either though, but like, that's such a stretch better than 40% of bro league. Like, no, no. Yeah. No. Like, no, yeah. Maybe better than the bottom 10%. Sure. Yeah, maybe, you know, I, I can't, I can't like think of it. Like I can't quantify it all in my head. Yeah. Like, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, he, he's good enough to be in pro league, I think, but Butters, I agree. It's, uh, there's a lot of players that aren't in pro league that are good enough to be in it. And I think, I don't think I'm trying to think of players in pro league. I'm like, gonna I don't throw think a name there's out anyone here, by the way. Somebody, sorry. Pardon? I said what I was gonna throw a name out here if somebody I think is good enough. I think Wimpy is good enough for Pro League. I think he's up there. I think Wimpy. I think, there's a, I think Wimpy's lot. good enough. There's a lot of players like that though. Like Wimpy's one that comes to mind. Um, the the ones he mentioned, like Rexon, 100 is good enough to be in Pro League. I, yeah. I actually think all of that LG team. I mean, I think the old EG team. I mean, I think they're taking a break right now, but I think they come back. They're good enough to be in Pro League. Yeah. Like, I think there's a ton of players because, like, at the end of the day, like, I, there's not, it's not like players are like way significantly better when it's like fighting for that kind of spot. It's just a matter of who fits better. Um, Especially if when, they're a fragger, because a lot yeah. of times they're, they need to bring something else other than just being a fragger, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's a matter of who fits better on the team. But like, yeah, all, all those players are good enough to be in Pro League. And I think everyone in Pro League is good enough. Like, I don't, I don't think I've seen someone really like that. I mean, it's happened in the past. It's definitely happened in the past. Um, but yeah, I I don't think there's players like that, really. Um, I think both you and I could probably name over the last couple seasons in North America more than any other region, because in Europe, I think the automatic culling of talent in, North, in Europe is the language barrier. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of average players that there's their team implodes and they don't speak another language, so they're fucked, right? Yeah, but I think in NA, I I I'm friends with them. I'm not going to name any of them. There's probably about five or six people that played, that may might still be in might still be in in USD. Maybe not. Just to try and throw people off the scent, but I can name like four or five people who very much overstayed their welcome and only got spots because of who they were, or who they are, or who they know. And very yep. easily could be replaced by what were the names that was listed? It was like Wimpy, Anthony MGS, like Kylo, Sippin', like Kilo, Sippin', yeah, like Sippin' on OJ. Like uh, all those guys that were on OB, like Legs, J90, or J90. Yeah, I think Legs and J90 could come in for sure. Yeah. And and the other thing too is that we have to realize that we were also looking at it, you know, a, a maybe a 10 team league. And if there were 10 teams in NA to match EU, we wouldn't really be having this conversation right now, right? Because mm -hmm. there would have likely been a lot of new blood that came in. 
Yeah. I think like the guys on PogChamp too. All them. Yeah. Good enough. Like it's just a matter of what fits. That team is half journeyman though. Yes. Trippin, Ghost, and Jarvis. Those are your. Those would be your journeyman that hyena yeah. was slagging off on. Yeah. But no, I think this is the first time in a long, long period of time. I will say that I think that NA has a lot of good up and coming talent. Um, it was bleak a couple seasons back. Like when when the top. Like when Elephant Gang was like the indisputed best team of NACL. It was slim pickings after that. Like the other seven teams, like, well, I mean, I guess DG was around at the same time, but then even then DG was like a big question mark. We didn't really understand what's going on with that squad. Because it was like Mm -hmm. on paper, they should have been fine, but then they just, for whatever reason, they never made it. Um, That was the old like Yeti, Gotcha, Mo, Spades squad read i think way back in the day um Mm -hmm. but um yeah i don't know uh i think the hyena banter you think it's good or bad for the scene i mean it's entertaining i don't i don't know if i could even say it's bad though like i mean i guess it depends how people perceive it like and that's kind of why i responded to like what he was saying because it felt like he was like discrediting top teams. He's like, well, top teams, like the way, the way it could kind of come off. And I'm exaggerating here. Like, I mean, completely exaggerating what he said, but like it could come off as like top teams are only at the top because they can afford to buy up players, which is not fucking true at all. Right. They're like the fucking Yankees. They just buy their team. Exactly. Like the, yeah. the, the argument I made to it is like all these teams that can afford to buy players and have bought players, we're good before they bought any fucking players. They were the best teams in NA before they bought any players. Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to think if that's been the same in all regions, but like that's that's how it works. Uh, um, I mean, if you look at Europe historically, Empire didn't buy players. G2 at the onset didn't buy players. Yep. Like they got Shate, and then they, you know, that was it. And then they got Uno, I suppose. Like Rogue didn't really actively buy players. Like you're talking about like assembling no, super exactly. teams, right? Yeah. I mean, look at like, assembled it, super like it's teams. It's happening now, but like those teams are already good beforehand or like earn their place at the top beforehand. And like that's yeah. how they get there. Like, and that's the argument I was making with him. And like, I do agree. Like, it sucks. So, like, for example, is like United, United, honestly, they didn't fucking show anything to like get the support. They're, they're getting like really good support. Like, they fucking moved Alfama in. They got the, they got the lad pad or whatever the fuck for them to live in. Now they're getting a house. Like, they're paid well. Like, they they get good support. United treats them well. Like it seems like it. I don't know behind the scenes stuff. I've heard E United's like, a good org, by the way. Like I've heard yeah. that they treat their players well. No, and, like, like the, the COD like team. It. The COD team had a lot of good things to say. Yeah. yeah. So like, it seems like they're treated really well. And I will say, United the like the the actual roster. I'm gonna be honest, and I I feel like if they're gonna if they're being real with themselves, they didn't do anything to like deserve better treatment than like the LG guys did, right? Yeah. Both of them were just due to pro league, both of them. And the LG squad has been better and is still probably better. Fortunately, Hyena and the boys, they got a fucking shitty Oregon comparison. <laughs> it sucks. That's life. Like, yeah. It is what it is. But like at the top teams, the reason the top teams have these good orgs and have their orgs like willing to buy players out is because they're proving that they're worth investing in. Yeah, 
I, I also think a lot of it comes down to marketability. That you know, well, yeah. like, you know, you're one of the most marketable. You might be getting past now that you've taken a bit of a step back, but I don't think that's the case. I still think people will turn like they'll turn out to watch you and your content. Mm -hmm. You're one of the most marketable people. You know, you've got Bosco, who is also quietly for different reasons, marketable to a certain extent, you know, and then the rest of the team that you've got, they might not be huge in terms of content creation, but they speak for themselves in regards to playing. TSM is a no fucking brainer. They got Bolo, you know, like, <laughs> duh. You know, DZ doesn't necessarily, like, I think probably Skies is their most marketable star, but even Skies went from being like a big part of the scene to he's also kind of retreated from social media and he's streaming less. But DZ is doing a full team approach where they're putting yeah. out amazing content. And a lot of credit needs to go to DZ for this. They're pumping out content with all their players. OXG, you've got Fox A and Laxing, two of like probably the biggest known names in North America. Like, and those are your top four teams. Mm -hmm. So the big orgs with money will put money into content creation for that reason and will put money into teams because they know that you've got a big name. Yep. I think TZ, I think TSM is a, is a, <clears throat> a great way of looking at it. And it's very clear that E United is trying really hard to create content around that lad pad. You know, Yeti and Alfama trying, they're trying to put out a ton of content with Yeti and Alfama. And now that I think Forrest has moved in with them as well. Um, well, they're all they moved out to Vegas now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're in Vegas. Is are Callout and Grixer there as well? I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I, I hadn't Call seen that. They I saw are. like I saw I think a, a picture with Callout, so I think Callout is, but it's not the lad pad anymore. I think they called it like the fucking lad cast. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know something. They Some upgrade. funny name. Apparently, Callout is there as well, um, but Grixer is not yet. Um, brave on them for traveling, especially to Vegas in these circumstances, but. <laughs> Um, I mean, unless you're leaving like Texas or Florida, then I mean, it's probably a step up, but no. And I mean, I think that orgs will gravitate towards that, you know, God has touched on it. A big draw of why C9 picked them up was her, you know, yeah. orgs will invest in marketable stars because frankly, across every esport, there are a tiny number of people that are worth building content around and players need to take it upon themselves to be marketable. You yep. need to prove to your fans and to esports orgs, et cetera, that you are worth interviewing. You know, there's a lot of people that will never come on this show because they're just, they're boring. They don't have anything to offer, right? And it's like, I hate to say it, but they won't go on any podcast because they're not going to be getting asked because they don't add anything of value. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it sucks to say, but there's lots of people like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just if every team has like a big star, it'll make getting picked up by a big org easier. You know, you think an org is going to pass on a, on a team that has Bolo on it. Are you crazy? No, no, no of they, course not. They, they, that's the easiest way to see. Like, yeah, we can, we can make this work. We can, we can make money off this. We can get viewers. We can like get numbers off of this. Like yeah. that's really all it is. Um, so yeah. You need yeah marketable players, and then also, or the alternative is being consistently really fucking good and proving that through results. Yeah, but I feel like you'll, but you'll. That's the thing. If you're really good, you naturally become marketable. Yeah, I was going to say a, the thing is, it's a lot harder to be consistently the absolute fucking best. It is. Yeah, but it's like, like it's a lot easier said than done. Like, oh, we'll just win. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> If you're Go constantly ahead. one of the top teams, you're going to be on camera so much that you just, you're going to have no choice 
Yeah. But to somebody on that team, whether it's a coach, whether it's you, it's whether it's a manager, somebody on that team is going to become marketable. Yep. And it's like, you can show it off. And that's the thing. Like if TSM wants to sell merch and Bolo retweets it, how many more hundreds of people are going to buy that merch now that wouldn't before? Yep. And that's hundreds. Could be thousands. Bolo has 140,000 Twitter followers and like a million subs on YouTube. And he pulls higher viewership than basically anybody except for Pengu when he streams. Like the man is just a content king. And it's like all you need is Bolo vouching for one thing. And you've got hundreds to thousands of impressionable fans that are now taking his word as gospel and are asking their parents for their credit cards or are dumping money themselves into these things. It's a win-win mm-hmm. situation. And people don't really get like the economics behind it, especially when you realize that 99% of esports orgs lose money. They never turn a profit. They are mm-hmm. loss leaders, part of a bigger portfolio, usually a bigger business where they know they're going to lose money, but they're there for a reason. And that's for advertising, marketing, to draw an audience, etc. Mm-hmm. So... Though I will say this, I, I will give praise to both E United and Tempo Storm. They both seem like they're pretty good orcs. Tempo Storm's content online, by the way, A plus. Really like that they've been going to bat for political issues recently. Um, and E United just seems to be treating the, the teams well. Yep. Not to mention the fact that the Sonics and, and DG have been the same. So yep, um, have been. With that said, now that we're talking about good orcs, that can get us off of this topic. We can go to questions now, um, because there's a lot of them, and I also realize it's five twenty. Um, we'll do like mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes of questions. We can do quick answers, by the way. Okay. Um, there's a lot of them. It's called questions there's for a lot, us. Bro. Holy fuck. Um, yeah, a lot of questions. People want to ask us a lot of things. Um, oh my goodness. There's hundreds of them. It keeps going. All right. We're at the top now. Fine. Wow. Um, There's a lot of a lot of questions about like what do you think of the meta? What do you think of maps? What do you think about this team? What do you think about that team? Um in future, not that I think that they're bad questions. I don't want to sound snooty. But if it's a question like that, there's a good chance that we'll probably touch on it at some point over the course of a show and it also won't mm-hmm. be as relevant anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like if you say what do you think of DG's performance and that's all you say, we don't know what week you're talking about. Um so specificity is king. Um Also, I love when somebody will ask a question and then it will be answered. Like somebody in, somebody in here says, what's better, smokes or stuns? And somebody just answers it with smokes. Okay, well, we don't need to answer that question. Good. Um, <laughs> that one's done. Have you found anything, by the way? I'm still scrolling. A question? Oh, I mean, I see one that um, keeps popping up that I know everyone wants to hear the answer to. Blast why, it. Is my, why is my door so tall and narrow? So you can fit the hammer through it. And I don't fucking know. Like, okay, well, that's a good one. I saw that command in the chat. That's yeah, that's the command in the chat. Why is it? It's the bathroom I, door. I don't, it's the it. bathroom door. It's a sliding door to the bathroom. Fultz and I share a bathroom. So Fultz, the bathroom's on the other side of the door. Fultz is on the other side of the bathroom. Right there. But That's uh, Fultz's room on the other side. Yeah. He just slide open the just... door and it's a small little, small little area. It just keeps Fultz in there. He starves him yeah. so that on, on match day, Fultz has to fight for his food. I have no idea why it's like that, though. I also have no idea why the walls are red. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, the back wall is gray. You can see there. And the walls beside me here are gray. I don't know. Some interesting design choices here. The house is nice, but like some of the colors I Man, question. 
I, I will say this when we when we were when we knew we were gambling on Vegas, Kix and mm-hmm. I, we started looking at at houses because I wanted to try and get a drop on the on the market before we moved. Because originally I was supposed to move to Vegas in May, end of May, like right after the right after the Sao Paulo finals, I was going to move. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the world had a different idea. Um, so that's on hold for now until whenever the land league opens up slash I can get a visa. I will say this. Every single house I looked at in Vegas had the most hideous interior decoration. I think I've ever seen. There was not a single nice looking house. I think there was like, (laughs) I looked at probably hundreds, hundreds of houses and every single one, the interior was just like weird angles that made no fucking sense. Colors that just defied logic and made your eyes bleed weird furniture choices like there'd be like a random fireplace in a hallway and you're like why is this here there's like for what reason none of the houses had like air conditioning they all had like re- like localized air or whatever and i was just i was looking at it and i was like dude this is a freak show i'm gonna need to look harder because all of these look like i'm living in the 70s there yeah there were some weird ones i mean like we like the house but like i remember when i first saw the pictures i was like but why i but why is it red? Yeah, like that was that was the main question. I was just like, why is everything red? Yeah, I don't. And then I walked in and I found out that it was gray and red, which is even weirder. But yeah, I think down, downstairs, you don't notice it as much. But like this room, like you notice it. Thankfully, I just sleep here usually and do the podcast. That's about it. I, uh, I mean, in a perfect world, that's what you're using a bedroom for. Yeah, I know, but some people sit in their rooms a lot more, right? Yeah. Like if true. I was if I was gaming in my room, like I don't use this setup to practice on. I use the one downstairs. So right. like, the only time I'm on this computer usually, sometimes I'm on the outside of it, but almost always it's just for the podcast. And that's it. Um so yeah, it's it, it doesn't bother me as much. If I was here every day though, like especially because if I was gaming too, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the same light I have right now. I wouldn't have all the windows open all the time. Sometimes it'd be dark in here, bro. If I just like was in the dark with this red and gray, nah, wouldn't be a fan. Wouldn't be you, a fan. You become a Satanist. Yeah, maybe. Um, I remember when you sent me like the the file of your house, like the mm-hmm. the rental profile or whatever, and I was looking at the yeah. layout, and the one bathroom was like blood red as well, and it had like a live love laugh sign above the toilet, and I was just like, nah, I'm done. I that, can't. That's our bathroom, dude. That's I'd live, love, laugh my way out of that fucking house. Like no chance. Like that I could sign's not. gone. That sign's gone. But well, that's a relief. That's, that's our bathroom. I could not. That's our bathroom. Uh, here's a good one, actually. Um, from Modger Roar, obviously a uh, 007 fan, says uh, okay. Siege GG just put out the stats for Yana and Oryx. Why is Yana seen so little play? She seems to have a decent kit, explosives for the current meta, and essentially a recharging drone as a gadget, which allows her two drones for flanks. This can offset the attack defense information imbalance. And then additionally, I'm also going to ask you why why do you think Oryx sees little play? But I mean, that answer is going to be pretty self-evident. Um, so Yana, I think again, this is like back to the point you made about secondary utility. So she brings nades and smokes, right? That's strong. As far as smoke ops go, no, it is strong. As far as smoke ops go, you I mean, Capitao is probably, like, the best, most consistent smoke operator. Next up's, like, Jackal. And Jackal's, like, map-dependent, because some maps, like, you get nothing out of it. He has a nasty gun, though, so, like, you can always bring him. But Cap's, like, probably the best one, most consistently. Um, 
but sometimes like he, a lot of the time he's banned or with Wamai up, it makes it a bit more difficult, but cap's really good. Cause he brings, can bring flashes as well. And then as far as nades go, when you're bringing nades, it's either usually going to be on Mav or on, um, on sledge because you're going to need to bring top down or it's just, if you already bring a Mav, then you, he's your nades. Like if you need, cause sometimes you just need to bring Mav. Right. And then at that point, it's like, okay, he's our nades and you have to bring flashes around it. Sometimes you bring nades with it, but it depends. But really, it's just she's map dependent. She is very strong, though. Like, um, I think probably the most the map you that she's played the most on there is probably going to be coastline. Like, that's the map I see her the most on. Um, I see tons of teams use her on coastline. Um, and I think that's no secret. I think any team that's playing right now knows that. Uh, teams use her on coastline, and that's because you have the most flexibility with your lineup. So she's a great operator. It's just sometimes it's hard to fit her in, and that's just due to the current meta where you need to have certain utility and certain just to be able to clear things. Um, with less top down, you could probably bring her more as the nades, and I think some maps you can definitely bring her as the smokes. I've seen it on some other maps, um, but then there's some maps where it's just it's not worth it. Like Capitos is better as your smokes or you can't bring smokes cause you gotta, you gotta deal with other stuff, but she's good. Um, it honestly, I think it might even like continue to rise her pick rate as more and more teams like find good uses for her. Uh, cause you just, you need to find a good consistent use for her. Um, but she's great. I think she's good. I think she's in a good spot. I think that pick rate might rise. You think that part of why you see her on coastline is because you have that absent hard breacher role. Yes. You've got an extra yeah. spot right on coastline. So, this is a side note. What do you think of Coastline not needing a hard breacher? Would you like to see more map reworks that are like that? Or mm, Here's the thing. It's weird. I I get frustrated how Coastline plays out, but that's just because... See, I, so I don't know. I don't know if we fix the current Defender meta, if all maps will feel like the way Coastline feels, but like the way Coastline feels is it feels very hard to defend. Right. Um, you feel just kind of fucked up defense, honestly. Like, you need to just... <laughs> You just need to like get aggressive or like just like stop stop their entry something like something to slow down the attackers and like just fuck with their game plan basically. Um, and I think part of the reason why for that is because you don't need to bring a hard breacher, so you can bring all these combination operators, and you have now you have so many more explosives, so many more flashes, and also a big part of it is that since top down is so prevalent on it, you don't need to clear things as much, right? So like. For example, like if they have a bunch of ADSs and magnets and a shield stacked in kitchen, you just go in VIP. Doesn't fucking matter, right? That's not the case on every other map. Every other map, right? Like if some, a lot of the times that shield will be in a spot where you can't breach above it. Now what do you do? Like I think the only spot that you can't breach above on that map is like the kitchen hallway and security, like office fully breachable, blue bar, red bar, lobby, pet house, like it's all breachable. So those spots aren't protected. And because of that, like you can get around the utility more. Um, so I like the maybe it's like I'm just kind of realizing this now because now all these thoughts are playing out in my head. Um, so you're making me come to a realization. But I think it's probably a mix of the verticality and then also the free hard breacher. So maybe I'd like to experience another map where you free up the hard breacher, but then it would have to mess with the verticality but then i also now i'm thinking about it like if you don't have the, all that verticality you would probably need to bring a hard breacher 
It would be so. kind of nice to not have a mandatory hard breacher. And then, I mean, you can bring that, what was it, the, that leaked gadget, the can opener thing or whatever it is that, that's been floating around, the image of, like, the, the thing you place that's kind of like a breaching oh, charge yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about leaks here, by the way, because I don't care. And I, I can also tell you that I actually... I don't know about any upcoming content. So everything I know I have acquired through leaks as I have not playtested yeah, anything. I don't think I know anything further. I th- oh, yeah. yeah. I I, I I I've gotten to the point now where I, I don't, don't know any upcoming content, period. And all I can go off are like the leak videos. So. Yep. There's like a leaked secondary gadget that came out that's like they put down like this gadget and it's kind of like a small thermite charge and it opens like a little mm-hmm. area in. Um... Okay, um, I would like to see more maps where there aren't hard breachers. Like, I I mean, that was, from what I understand, that was kind of the thinking behind Tower, was like, a map like Tower, Buck is too strong, Soft Destruction is too, it's too strong. What do you do? Get rid of all of it. Most of the floors on Tower, they're not breachable. And there's only like two hatches on that entire map. There's zero vertical play on, on Tower. You basically have to attack the map head on, like the site head on. And I think that's kind of cool. And in a way, I would like to see that where, you know, like you, that would also make other operators less effective. Like on a map like Tower, if Tower was competitively viable, let's say. Like if it was, you'd be running a hard breacher on. I'm telling you right now. No, Maybe I know you'd be running a hard breacher on it. I'm just saying that. I'm thinking like, about all the sites. It's there's, good. There's no vertical play on Tower, though. You don't have to worry about getting no, destroyed from below. You don't have to worry about getting destroyed from above. Everything is super linear, but you have to worry about how much like outside room there is. Like obviously mm-hmm. Tower is a shit map and it's not, I'm not saying throw it in, throw it in, you know, the US division. I'm saying that like, I like that the thought process behind it is that it was different yeah. and it'd be cool to kind of see more like that. But I mean, I know a lot of people would disagree. It's uh, hard to do. That's hard to do. Yeah. Like having like a, trying to make like a unique like styled map yeah but to do it right and like make it competitively viable it's hard to do like i don't even know how to do it i couldn't tell you i mean we're not map designers we just know no, what not. is fun and isn't fun to play like skyscraper is not fun to play yeah. but nope. you have a you have a question let's we can go through these questions kind of quickly because i know there's a lot of them mm-hmm. uh, oh uh, i did not pick another one bro i'm bad at this we should have picked them ahead of time to be fair yes um okay here's a quick one after this year is done and shally and skyscraper reworked what's the next map buff slash rework that you'd like to see after which ones sorry after skyscraper and chalet are done because they're the two that they've already announced oh yeah yeah, yeah. if you could mm. name 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 the four let's say we don't get a new map let's say that it's four mm. reworks next next year what do you want to see you don't even need to name mean, four you can just name a couple Order's like the obvious one, I think. Right. Because it just taken out. Um, consulate. I would like changes to consulate. Um, small changes to bank, but not much. Like I would. I think I'd want like more significant changes to like consulate and border. Whereas like bank, I think like small changes like to do with the main lobby, and maybe like the garage. Downstairs and like, garage would be great. Yeah. Like small changes with bank, and then I think like actual reworks with like consulate and border i would say i uh i align with those three perfectly uh bank consulate border for me are the no-brainers mm-hmm. um 
they're the only maps right now. And I like bank. I like bank a lot. I actually liked casting every site on bank except for the basement. And that's because the basement plays out exactly the same every time. Um, once server control has been taken care of, it's just like the same song over and over and over again. Um, uh, I threw a wrench in there and I said Bartlett because I'd like to see, I, I think stylistically it's a nice looking map. I don't think Bartlett will ever get touched because the optics of reworking a university to be in like a terrorist simula simulation have changed so wildly in the last year, let alone the last two years. Um, this is true. I would be amazed. It's like why people are like, oh, make a Vegas map. And it's like Vegas had the largest mass shooting in the history of America. You really think they're going to make a map based on it? No, that that ship has sailed. It will never happen. So like true. people need to people need to kind of like come to terms with that and, and think critically about why it will never happen. I appreciate that you might want it to happen. It's never going to happen. Uh, I think the same with Bartlett. I like Bartlett it, as, a, as like an aesthetically. I like Bartlett. I think it's a nice looking map. I think it plays dreadfully poor. Uh, and it was, it's a Reddit map, right? Reddit kept complaining until they're like, make it a map, make it a map, make it a map. And then finally Ubisoft was like, fine. And then Reddit enjoyed it for like two months. And they're like, oh, this map shit. It's like, well, imagine that, you know, like, um, if we're picking a, if we're picking a map that isn't in, I'd, I'd probably say yacht. Yacht would be cool. And I don't think yacht is that unplayable. I think if you shrink the map, and you change it a little bit, I think Yacht becomes playable. So. Yeah. And it's also cool because Yacht is very little vertical play as well. So if we want to keep on that thinking of Tower where it's like you don't have to worry about a buck or a sledge making your life above or below you an utter nightmare, Yacht's a good proving ground for it. See if it works. Mm -hmm. I am worried though because like Canal, I don't know. I could, I would like to see a season of Canal in ranked or in, in, in pro league, quote unquote. Uh, throw it and bank back in back in there, move the map pool up to nine and just see what fucking chaos unfolds. But I know the teams would probably say no. So Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how I'd feel about that. Yeah, well it doesn't matter. Okay. Should be done. For funsies. Mm, I don't know about funsies. Okay. I don't believe in pro league funsies. No fun allowed, that's why you run Clash. Yes. I have a lot of playing Clash though. Oh. I like I do like my evil like maniacal laugh while I play Clash. The other day in scrims, like I, I, I was just cracking up playing Clash on a map, just, just dying laughing, just like this guy's fucked, like he can't move. You're fucked. You're dead. Has anybody told you that you're an awful person for mm. enjoying that? Possibly. Yeah. All right. You have a you have the next question. Um. Yeah. Um. This one. I guess it's, it was targeted for me. He asked me if I had the chance to be the coach for SS3 for whatever reason, why would I take it? Lycan's um, off the bench. He's playing now. You're the coach. It's something we joke about. But um, I, like, I wouldn't take that, probably. I don't know. Like, I think if that ever happened, like, first of all, for me to move into coaching, like, I'd, I'd have to know, like, I'm not playing the game anymore. Like, I'd have to be confident that I should not be playing the game anymore. Um, so for that to happen, I mean, I don't see that happening too soon. <laughs> um, I don't feel, I don't feel that bad at the game. Um, as far as being a coach for SSG though, I think like it would depend on like how things ended, I guess. Like, like if I would just like 
we went out, we, we kept playing and I'm like, all right, I'm done after this. And then, then I want to continue coaching and I join the team as a coach. Sure. But like, I don't, that's like a very picture perfect world. Like it might not happen like that. Like who's to fucking, who's to fucking know, right? Like th- there could be changes at any point. Like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to leave EG, but like sometimes things go to shit. It happens. And then you gotta, you gotta figure out what you're going to do. Um, that's, that's why you stream, right? There's your pivot. This is true. There's other things I would rather pivot into, and that's kind of why I don't do the streaming as much. Like, and like why I focus more on like the Twitter side of it. There's mm-hmm. other parts of like the industry and the game that I'd rather pivot into. Right. Just for me personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if it went picture perfect, then like, I mean, I like the guys on the team, so I would want to like keep helping them win, but. I think also at some point I would want to be like a head coach and that's like, I wouldn't be like, you know, like it's got to go then. Cause like, it's a great fucking coach. Like that'd be ridiculous for me to say, I think I'd want to start like my own project or something at some point. Like I, that's something I could definitely see me doing. And I honestly think I will probably end up doing after I play is like coaching or like helping build a new team. I want to steal you for casting talent. So go I through your coaching, you. go through your coaching phase quickly. I know. Get that out of your Maybe. system. We'll see. Come make good money and shout on a mic like you already do. But like Luke said, yeah, not coaching shit anytime soon. I'm nasty. Sure you are. I am. If you don't take advantage of that and make merch to some capacity, like SSG, we're nasty, he's nasty, blah, blah, blah. Like, we got to get the nasty merch, huh? Missed opportunity. Here's a good one, though, um, from O Grievous. Um says right now the Canada division is looked down upon and quite frankly insulted by most people, which to an extent I can understand from an outside view. By the way, is uh O'Grievous is the head coach for Nordic Esports, which is uh in the Canada division mm-hmm. right now. Who won their match, by the way. They play against Mirage. Uh, next week, I think. I can't remember exactly what the scheduling. Anyway. Which to an extent I can understand from an outside view, but I feel like that's because we haven't showcased ourselves against the best teams and are instead stuck in our sub-region. The biggest thing I've noticed is we don't have much of a voice, and because of that, we are often an afterthought right now. Have you guys thought about bringing on some Canada Division talent, maybe one per team, similar to the coaches episode, to discuss the new scene? On the Friday night games, it's quite jarring to watch because you guys don't know the teams or understand the dynamics as much as the U.S. Division. I suggest considering reaching out to the teams and players and bring the division to life. Um, and that makes a joke at the end being like, you might know how to pronounce their names because we didn't know how to pronounce. Uh, to be fair, this was, and I'm not throwing production under the bus, but this is a production issue. Uh, I was pronouncing that one guy's name coffee. And then kicks was like production told us that it was Kohi. So we started Ooh. saying Kohi and then it turns out it was coffee. And I was oh, right. No. I was right all along. Um, so I can answer this first. Um, anytime a new region happens, every they're always going to be looked down upon. No way to fix that. APAC yep. is still looked down upon. LATAM, to a certain extent, is still looked down upon. They have been in the scene for years. You're not. You're going to be looked down upon until you prove that you don't deserve to be looked down upon. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing, was when FaZe started putting up good results, Black Dragon started to play really, really well, and Liquid won the whole damn thing. That's when the main chatter about LATAM being bad ended. Uh, APAC to APAC is still looked down upon by most people because I think a lot of people would say that with the exception of Fnatic and Norringo, the rest of the region hasn't seen a ton of success and they're outliers. Yep. That's it. 
Canada division will continue to be looked down upon just as the rest of the South American divisions are going to be looked down upon slash Latin America divisions are going to be looked down upon just as ANZ is now going to be looked down upon because they're new. That's it. Nobody knows anything about them. Nobody knows anything really about the players. Nobody knows anything about the teams. Um, I will tell you this, that there is obviously a skill drop off in Canada division right now, just from watching it and casting it. There are a lot of times where it's like, I can see and understand the thought process behind a lot of USD teams. Nordic is a team where I see a thought process and Mirage as well. Uh, Altiora kind of, um, livid, not, not really, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's just like, you're new, you're new. You're adapting to pro play. Some of these players have never played at this level. I have casted a lot of Canada league. I've casted every season of Canadian nationals, at least one episode. I've done uh, production stuff for Northern arena and squad state for Canada division and for waveform as well. I think I'm pretty well versed in the region. I don't think the issues are necessarily that you just don't, you're stuck in your sub region. Mirage is scrimming against pro teams. I know this I'm friends with Flynn. I talked to him. I'm assuming Nordic is as well until you start winning and until you start playing you're not going to get out of that. We're looked down upon. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like, you've got to prove that you don't deserve to be insulted. I mean, obviously being insulted is not great, but it's like, if you're playing poorly, you're going to continue to get dumped on for playing poorly. Just as, just as E United and Tempo Storm get shit on for being in the lower portion of NA or well, USD, you're going to see the same thing with the Canada division. Right. And I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Having, having watched it, if you even watched it, but if you've kept an eye on it, I'm interested what your thoughts are. I've watched little bits. We we usually practice during it, so I haven't really watched much. Watched like little bits here and there. Yeah. Um honestly, like I don't remember like the team like the only team I know like really well is Mirage. Um, because we've scrimmed them and I know people on the team as well. Yeah. Um so like that's the only one I'm gonna like consistently remember off the top of my head. But yeah, I haven't watched it a ton, but like from the little I've seen, like, I mean, it doesn't look horrible, but yeah, like there's no, like there's, it's not like they're proving that they're fucking nasty at the game or something. Right. Like, right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's going to come with time. Like eventually you're going to get better. You're going to keep playing the game. You're going to get better. You're going to scrim against maybe even like at first you're going to have to scrim against like probably North America, like the U S challenger league teams. Yeah. I think that's probably the best place to start because I'm going to be honest, a lot of the U.S. Pro League teams aren't going to take the scrims. They might take some here and there, but pretty rarely. Like, you're not going to get consistent practice with them. I think you play against Challenger League teams, you keep getting better, keep getting better, and then eventually, like, I mean, you'll make a name for yourself. People will notice you, whether it's the player or the team or whatever, and I think you'll start to scrim. Like, U.S. Pro League teams will eventually scrim against more Canadian teams. They will. Um, it's going to happen. They're going to get better. And I mean, you, we always need like more practice partners or better practice partners. Like there's never, you're never going to say, oh, there's too many people to fucking scrim. Like that's never going to be a problem. Um, so yeah, I, uh, think just got to keep playing. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Like, like you said, every, every new region, it's going to start out like that. Like you're going to be looked down upon. You just got to prove otherwise. It's going to take a while, but yeah. I would love to have Flynn on here. Um, I'd have no problem with that. He would probably be the first person I'd bring on uh, because I think he has a very unique perspective playing on Mirage, but also as a caster, I think, you know, he's, he's mm -hmm. familiarized with a lot of these players too. And I think he'd have a, I think he'd be able to 
have a good conversation. Um, and I know the the chat would probably quite like that as well, um, since Flynn has basically become a recluse. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, the the thing is, is right now Canada Division and U.S. Division are in terms of tiers, they are they are both tier one leagues, but the caliber of play from the U.S. Division to the Canada Division is obviously not consistent, and that's fine. You can say the same thing between like literally the U.S. division and like fucking APAC or EU versus NA or LATAM versus APAC or whatever. Like every region is going to rank themselves differently. And I think it's it's not about it's not about like not knowing or understanding. Like I don't think the the Canada division is going to have some like wildly different meta. They're going to be scrimming U.S. teams. They're going to be playing U.S. Challenger League teams. They're going to be playing Canada Challenger League teams. It's not like they're going to try to reinvent the wheel. It's just that they've got to get up to speed first. And that's it. And a lot of honestly, what boils down to Canada division and why we cast it the way we do is we cast it a bit lighter because we don't want to be critical. If we casted it with the same stakes that we cast the U.S. division, people would call us assholes because the amount of mistakes that are being made. So Mm -hmm. we cast it lighter, like it's more relaxed. Kix and I have a good time with it. We drop criticisms where we think are fair and valid but we don't hold a brand new division of professional play to the same standards, just as you don't compare Ace and Dez to Kix and myself. We are not comparing Canada division to the U.S. division for that particular reason. And we understand that when you have a newer league, you try to handle it with kid gloves because you don't want to seem mean-spirited. You don't want to seem like you're being too critical and you don't want to seem like you're being too mean and rude to players who are still learning the ropes. A lot of these players have never competed at this level before. Most of them haven't. So you can't pretend that they have or try to compare them to players that have. Yeah. You have a question. I read one. I do think we should wrap up soon because I'm going to have practice soon. I think. We yeah, yeah. I got to go. I got to go in like 10 minutes. So I got to eat. Yeah. Okay. Um, one that I think will be fun to answer though is, I mean, it's more just for me to answer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I can ask you a different version of it, but okay. um Sherman just asked who slash was the most frustrating player to play. I was literally going to ask that one as well. Yeah. I'm going to ask you who you think it would be, I guess you can say that first if you want, and then I'll give you my answer. Okay. Is it in all of pro league or is it in your division? Narrow it down for me. I don't even know if I, so I don't have a more most frustrating one anymore. Okay. Um, I used to have one and it was in NA. Um, as far as, but like I have a different one. I guess, uh, but it's not like as frustrating. I mean, okay. So there's a bit of story behind it, but anyways, the the original most frustrating player for me was in NA. Okay. So, I mean, he's, I have seen everybody talk about how frustrating he is playing against thinking Nade, but he's your teammate now. Um, He actually used to be up there, but yeah, he's my teammate now. He's, he's annoying. Yeah. He's always on the fucking roof. Yeah. I saw how he's just like in, in the worst places at all the time. And he's just a great flank watch and all that jazz. Um, most frustrating to play against? You're it's, not going to guess mine. It's mine was like very unique. I'm going to say, but very unique. I just just guess in general, like who most people would think would be annoying. You well, you said thinking. Nate, I yeah. mean, if if I'm looking in a general sense, back when they were together, I would say that it's a joint effort. But like skies and laxing, I think would have been really fucking annoying to play against. Yeah, a lot of people do say lax, and Seth said that in chat. I don't. Yeah. I don't find him like too annoying to play against because I've 
I feel like I've always, I mean, like he's still done well. Like I'm not saying like I shut him down or something, right. but I've always been aware of like how Lax plays. Sometimes it's funny and you're like surprised by it a bit, but like for the most part, especially in matches, I'm very aware. I don't think I've been like caught off guard by it in a match where like he did something. I'm like, wait, what, what happened? Like usually it's like, oh yeah, that's fucking Lax. Or like, I'm kind of ready for it um so who is it but for me it was always hot and cold hot and cold Matthew like, that used to, and my old teammates on EG will attest to this but it's kind of like gone away I don't know what happened maybe they changed how they played the game maybe I fucking grew up and stopped getting as annoyed by players or something <laughs> but um I used to get so annoyed playing against him he would just he would kill me all the fucking time and I felt like he killed me in dumb ways so maybe he changed as a player maybe he's a smarter player now I don't know. I don't think that's it, though. Like, he would just smoke me. I'd get fucking mad. I thought it was going to be like Hyper Yaga, the Brick Brain duo. No. No. But as far as... So, like, one that I can think of, though, outside of that, is Nesk. And I've only played against him once, and it was at OGA Pit, and our team always jokes about it, because, like, there was... I don't know if you're familiar with it. The We played them on Bank. It was the last map we played against them at OGA Pit. And, oh, my fucking God, he ate us alive, bro. Like that's never happened to me where an individual player took like took over a map to that extent. We just we I'm telling you. Was it, was it NJR about, levels? But okay, so like NJR went nuclear with like like in terms of the numbers, but I'm telling you, like there was like a feeling on the map. There was a feeling in this match where it was just like if Ness was there, you were gonna die. Like that was it. Like NJR, like he was fragging out, but like we still thought like it still felt like you could peek him, you could kill him. Like I'm telling you, I've never felt like this before. I just if if we knew Nesk was there, it was like, fuck, like stay away. Bro, we're gonna die. And there was one round, um, like he had like 15 kills in four rounds or something, like something insane. And uh there was like this one round, and we were playing bank, and I noticed I noticed that he had been holding main stairs with Sophia. Like he was like the main stairs um flank hold. We're we're defending basement, by the way. I noticed that. So then, like the next the next round, I'm like, all right, like this is what we're gonna do because we 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 didn't defend their execute well at all. And I was like, all right, this is what we're gonna do. We reinforced like the teller's wall, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna pulse us on main. We're gonna send bodies up main. We're like, we're gonna fucking triple team this guy. We are gonna kill Nesk. Like that's how we're gonna win this round. I'm fucking pulsing Rampy and Nate up main, and just one, two, they both get smoked, and I'm like, oh fuck, man. Awesome. <laughs> I think Bosco died to something else. It's like me and Fultz. I'm in like the in my, Bosco might have been alive. I don't remember. Anyways, I like the round keeps going on. They open the vault hatch or the elevator hatch, and I'm in the the vault pulsing like every pulse does. In the back of my mind, I know I'm like they they call, my teammates call the hatches open, and I'm like I know that if a motherfucker is dropping that hatch, it's Nesk because he's the one holding the main stairs. He's the closest one to rotate to that hatch. So if someone drops, I know it's Nesk that's going to be dropping. I'm like, I'm telling Rampy and Nate, I'm like, like watch the E1 cam. E1 is just that elevator on that first floor or the bottom floor. Right. And I was like, watch the E1 cam. Like, let me know if he drops. And they scream dropping vault. And I'm just thinking in the back of my head, I have the fucking UMP, bro. I'm just thinking in the back of my head. I'm like, I have to fight Nesk in a one-on-one -on -one with the fucking UMP to keep our hopes alive in this round. Like, I just knew this fight was coming. I actually won the fight. I was like, let's fucking go, boys. We're in it. We're in it. 
And then I went to throw a fucking C4 to deny the plant and some fucking like graphics card overlay pops up on my screen and I just freeze in the middle of the fucking red hole and we lose the round. It was devastating, devastating. Would you say that you were old as shit and had the worst gun in the game yet you outdueled Nesk? Yeah. Is that I where mean, it that began? Was, that was part Is of it. Is that where you like planted the, the, the seeds up? of the UMP love? Is that? <laughs> yes, bro. That's you got that kill it. on Nesk and you're like, fuck, I'm nasty on this thing. I'm bringing this everywhere. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just the fact that I have to use it all the time. Playing up but against it's just like, dude, that that whole thought process in the back of the mind, like the whole rant in the back of my mind was like, how do we kill Nesk? Like that's all I was thinking about. And uh, and then there was another round. It was I think I think it was the very last round of the game. Like we were, there wasn't much we could do on that map. That was one of the maps where it was just it was tough. They were they were the better team on the map. They were better than us at bank, and Nesk was on point. It is what it is. That happens sometimes. Those are the easier losses to take. Like I've had other losses where it's like you made a mistake. Like it didn't feel like we made a fuck ton of mistakes there. Like we were making the right plays, but the guy was hitting the guy was hitting his shots. Yeah. And they knew how to play the map well. Um, but then anyways, there's like the last round they were defending CEO and we we're doing a front lobby take. And we we're just setting up to go like up the spiral stairs. And we had like a flank drone and tellers. And Nade's like on the flank turn. He's like, all right, Valk, Valk is teller's door, like, or couch door is what we call it. It's the left teller's door if you're in the lobby, the one on the left, not behind the desk. Got it. And he's like, all right, Valk's, Valk's couch door, left side. She's just holding there, like, freebie, right? And Nade's like, I'm going to go kill her. I'm going to go kill her, right? Nade gets off the cam. He goes to fucking pre-fire her. And just I just hear, like, two bullets in the MPX. Bink! Headshot. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going for Like, at the same time that Nade was going for it, I was like, I'm going to go for the trade. Same thing happens to me. I did not stand a chance. <laughs> just the cleanest headshots ever. I was just like, and me and me and Nade after, we were just like, it was a freebie. Like, Nade had the freebie, and I should have had the trade. But, like, it just didn't matter. It was like he was genetically superior. Like, what could we do? So, yeah, that that map was an experience, bro. I've never felt that on a map. Never up until that point. Jesus. Nesk is a different breed, bro. He is. I, I'll give I, it to him. Man, I remember watching Nesk when uh, I was in the audience. I was sitting next to Silence. And at the time, Silence was, I think he was with FaZe. I don't think he was with Liquid at the time, but it was Liquid versus Penta in the finals of Atlantic City. And I was in the crowd because Milos mm -hmm. and Emzo were casting the finals. And I was standing with Silence. And then I later ended up joining up with the Brazilian guys. And of course, at the time, I was actively cheering for Liquid, which don't tell the team Liquid fans who don't like me, by the way. <laughs> um, I was actively cheering for Liquid because I, I really like Liquid and Zig for a long period of time. Zig and Sexy Cake were like two of my favorite players. Obviously, Sexy Cake still is, but obviously mm -hmm. Zig's retired now. Yeah. And it meant a lot to me because when they won, I went up and I gave a big hug to Zig. And he actually gave me the jersey that he was wearing. Like literally right off his mm -hmm. back and I still have it. And that's the liquid jersey I have to this day. And it meant the fucking world to me. Um, I do wish I'd been casting that for the record. I really wanted to cast. I, I was, and that's why I was, I hate to say it, but I was cheering for Nip against you guys at SI because I just, I want to cast Latam winning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know I like too late. You, you know I like too bad. Too bad. <laughs> too bad. Too fucking bad. We won. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was sitting there with silence and I was just watching it and it was like, just watching Nesk when he's on, man, when oh, Nesk yeah. is on, it's just like, he was playing Ying, um, and they were running, uh, PSK, I think was on lion 
and they were running Nesk on Ying. And I just remember there was one consulate take where it's like they ran a lion and everybody was lying. It was, they were defending, uh, Pencha was defending Garage and Nesk was solo. And Nesk literally just, they, they hit a lion like right off the rip. He's already in Visa, marching down Visa stairs. He's in fucking break room. There's like 25 seconds into the round. They hit like the second lion and Nesk has all the candelas out and everybody's dead. And he killed like three or four people from the back. And the round was over in like 50 seconds. And I was just like, what do you, what do you do? No, what the fuck do you do at that point? Like he's one where it's like, if he's on good luck, like, yeah. and I mean, the thing is though, is like, he's not going to like, no one's ever going to be on like that consistently. So it's not something you can rely on, but like, it's, it's scary to have that kind of star power. That kind of star power is rare. Yeah. Um, like a lot of people will talk about like the star fraggers and like, I've played against a lot of them. I haven't, again, I have never experienced a map like that where, like, it was just, like, we lost that map because, like, he was, he would hit shots that we couldn't, like, there was nothing you could do about it. Like, I was, like, holding a pixel one time on, a, on like, I was, like, in open area, bro, and I was holding, like, a pixel through the open area door to the elevators, like, a tiny pixel. And he literally, like, no drone or anything, just turned the corner, smoked me. And I was like, like, what the fuck do you do? Like. And like that's on land too, where Peeker's advantage is not as insane and just instantly fried me off of it. And I was like, all right. Like he didn't pre-fire nothing. It was it was just sometimes there's there's people like that. There there's not many players like that though. There aren't. There was um I think it was an interview. I, I I'm pretty sure it was with Lycan. I could be wrong, but I'm ninety-nine percent certain it was with Lycan. And there was one game where like a team one or something like that. And Lycan just put it so bluntly. He just goes, sometimes it's just a player that is not going to lose. Yep. And that's it. And there are times where it's like a player just wakes up or has a game where you're not beating them. Yep. We have to get one hockey reference in. I guess I got the Don Cherry one in earlier, but it's like, it brings to mind like Jonathan quick for the Kings in that one playoff run back in like, what was yes. it like 20, 2010 or 2009 or something like that. And then, Tuka Rask with Boston as well. Nobody was fucking yes. beating them. They were not letting in goals. Like no, you could that, not score on them, period. And it's like that, that's one thing I love about hockey. And that's the thing you like in, to win a championship in hockey. Like usually yeah. you need a really good goalie. Yeah. That's the thing. Like good team, good teams can like they can be good without a good goalie. Yeah. But like you can't win the cup like without a good goalie. Usually. Yeah. There's, there's been some cases. But like, yeah, just I mean, sometimes like won, at the, the, at the end of the day to win. Hemi, so yeah. At the end of the day, to win, you need to score. And like, if that motherfucker, like, sometimes that motherfucker just says no. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just stop every shot. And you're just like, oh, fuck. What do we do? Guess we're not winning. Yeah. You get, you get one goal and you're like, that's it. That's it for the game. That's it for the game. We can't let them yep. even score one. We're not getting another. Yep. Um. All right. There's a lot of questions here. So maybe we'll do like a question and answer video at one point where we do nothing but answer questions. I'm cool um, with that too. Uh, this is the, this is a good one that I think to, to end off on, because I think this one is, is general and it doesn't just appeal to people who are competitive players. There are players like me who have solo queued for the last 2,300 hours. Also much respect to go through that. It's not that a, impressive. it's not a solo queue friendly game. What do you think about players like me? I already quit, but I still love siege. I'll let you go in general and start in general. I mean, that's that's impressive um 
what do I think? I mean, I don't know. You got some mental fortitude on you, bro. Uh, that might be I, the toughest I, human that's, I've ever that's met. That's tough, dude. Like, 2,300 hours of solo queue? I'm curious to You're know. You're not coming out like, the other side of that okay. I'm curious to know, like, I mean, obviously quit. Did yeah. I'm curious to know why he quit because, like, honestly, if you can solo queue that much, also, did it did it say his rank in there? No, that's all he said. Okay. I mean, I'm that's checking to see cool. if he posted like, a follow up question. Bro, I, at some point, like that guy, you got to try playing with a team, bro. Like, because if you're doing Tandem it for Hassan, that long, like your mental fortitude, man, like that can that can transition well. Yeah. Um. You you might do good in competitive siege. I mean, also the like the thing is you could. I'm not I'm not trying to like bash this guy, but like you could solo queue for that long and like just not be good at all. Yeah. Um. And then like obviously then there's no point in trying competitive, but like. I don't know, man. Like that—that's impressive. I—I I could not do. I—I I mean, I don't know many people that could do that. That's uh—that's tough. I think I'm pretty close to that. And most of the time, I solo queue. Um, I solo queue because I—I I don't play this game off stream that much. Um, so if I'm playing Rainbow Six, I'm almost assuredly streaming. And mm-hmm. um, right now I'm at. I haven't even played it recently. Um, I'm at 1,926 hours. And obviously not all of that is solo queued. And a bunch of that is also being in game casting. So that's something to, that's something to remember. But um, solo queuing is really challenging and the region matters a lot as well. If you're solo queuing in a region where they speak lots of different languages, infinitely worse than solo queuing in na and you think na is bad solo queuing go to europe i've heard similar things from people in asia it's just like imagine solo queuing but you literally can't talk to your teammates even if you want to that's tough you're trying to pull up you're trying to coordinate you're trying to pull off a plant etc like good fucking luck there were days where it's like i'd solo queue in europe and i'd be like if i'm not a caster if i'm not a streamer i probably would never play this game again i can't do solo queue because like the thing is, is when I solo queue, I want to win more. Like, than when I, like, if I five stack with my team, I don't care if we lose as much. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like, losing isn't fun in rank. Like, it, it'll usually, like, kill my mood, whatever. But, like, in solo queue, like, I'll actually almost get upset losing. Um, because, like, I just, I want to win and, like, I want to. I don't know. Like my competitive side carries over. Luke knows about this. I think he's in the chat. Luke knows about this because this season, what happened to me? Oh my God. Ranked fucking pissing me off this season. I, I mean, because of the current state of it, I like played my placements late. But anyways, like the other day, like a, a week ago or something, I like finished my place. Like I was finishing my placements. I was playing with like Kev, Bosco, Fultz, and I think Iconic. It's a nasty stack. It was a good stack. We were winning. The king stack. Well, we were winning. Um, anyways, we're queuing up. We're we're playing ranked, and then um, I get placed. I got placed plat three. I kept playing with them. It was all good. And then we played a cheater, and then we lost. My elo drops. Played another cheater. My elo drops. Now my elo is too low to queue with any of my fucking teammates. <laughs> so now I'm stuck fucking solo queuing, bro. And we were before scrims the other day. I queued up a solo queue match, and they just the guys and. Like, we're all just sitting in Discord chilling before scrims, and I just started getting mad. They heard the mouse slam. Like, I was getting mad because we were getting slammed. 
this we're playing cafe i think i went nuclear the first round we won the first round mm-hmm. i'm gonna be honest man the squad the squad was just dying <laughs> uh, this one round bro on defense i ran around the map i we were defending kitchen on cafe i was running around the whole map bro i killed like seven drones like i just kept getting drone i kept killing them my whole team was in sight and just one by one, they're dying in the sight. I'm like, they don't even have fucking drones. How are you all dying? Like, I was losing it, man. And then the next game, though. But then the next game, my team's my team was nasty. Like, you just you don't know. So it's just tough. I was trying. I was trying to like call out, coordinate a bit, but like it's 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 that's hard. the thing too, though. It's like when I try to like IGL remotely, then I get more invested, and then I get more frustrated, and that's bad. I remember I was playing a a, a, a my promotion game. I've been plat every season, which is fine. Usually somewhere between plat three and plat two. And I've always done it solo queued. And it's like, I remember I was playing on clubhouse and I'm like, okay, cool. It's my promotion game to plat. I've had a rough season. I think I placed like gold two or gold three. Cause it's like, you have like one or two bad placements and that's it. It's done. Um, I'm on clubhouse and we're defending upstairs. I'm like, okay, cool. Like pretty good map. As long as you're decently structured, you're fine. Like, I know how to play it comfortably enough where I'm not going to be like, it's not like chalet or outback where I'm insta tilted. Um, and it's just like, Fox A's calling you out for having scrims, by the way. He's like, we have scrims. We do not have scrims against them. Yeah. Did you see Fox A's thirst video, by the way, where he was spitting? I did not. Don't watch it. Good. I mean, actually, you should watch it. Yeah, but okay. So, and we're, we're playing on Clubhouse and it's just like, I, I can't remember who I was, but somebody double reinforced the wall from catwalk, like rafters in garage mm-hmm. in. And I was like, who reinforced this? Like, we need to rotate here. And they're like, no, it so they won't come through garage. And I'm like, how am I playing at gold one plat three levels? And somebody said that to me out loud. No, it's so they can't come through garage. Well. He's not technically. We got fucking annihilated, by the way, because they literally marched two people in the garage and we couldn't hold it. And then they just jumped through the window and killed us. And it was like whoever was playing. At least they didn't go through the wall, though. You know, at least they didn't go through the wall. If you had a frost mat, maybe, you know, you know, I guess I guess technically. I guess technically they it was to protect us from garage and I guess it protected us. I just yeah, like so like you stuff, man. It was this on stream? Somebody asked. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this was on stream. And I was just like, I don't get it. And I said, like, with all due respect, like this is a default rotation so that you can hold rafters and waste their time. And the guy's just like, Well, oh, I don't know what default means in this game since there's so many strats. And I was like, Well, default means that it's the main one. Well, so actually, the if you want to hold garage, like it, I will say, if you want to hold garage and the other team is attacking through garage. It is better, in my opinion, to fully reinforce it off. Right, but we didn't because know where we were coming then from. It was the, round one. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate, right. and I'm informing the people, okay? Inform the people. If people come from garage, it is better because then they can't see you from the server wall as well. They right. have to. They can only look through the window because otherwise they can look through the rotate hole, or, and you can't move as much. I would so also like to point out that, that they case, didn't put a rotate at red. And that, and that because the reinforcement went on the garage wall, we weren't able to reinforce the exterior wall to construction either. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the main reason for the rotate hole is for if a team comes from construction side with it, then from rafters, you can watch cash. Right. And that and it's a, like a power position. 
But yeah, I don't know. But that it was depends. not the case. No, it was not. Yeah, it was it did not. Anyway, I was like, I didn't understand it. And it's just like I make I remember I made a call out once. I was in Platt at this time in NA and I made a call out and the guy's like, I don't know where that is. And I was like, it's literally on the map. Like, how are you playing this game in ranked and you don't know where? Like, I wasn't even like a weird call. Like, I didn't call like Africa and border or something like that. Or I didn't call mm-hmm. like Zed or like 90 where they're like, the fuck does that mean? It was like literally the same call out that it was on the map. And they're like, I don't know where that is. I was like, how do you not know where that is? You're playing ranked. Um, somebody that, that one that one happens to me sometimes. I'm not going to lie. So the, that's just because I only know my team's call outs. That's fair. So sometimes I hop on a map and I hear like maintenance and I'm like, where? The literal call out for that spot on Skate Park. Yeah. Anyway, he said, Can't what do you really. think of players like me? Um, I think that you shouldn't be solo queuing. I think that you should be mm-hmm. trying to play with a team because it's a better experience. Um, I think that you're brave and you're strong to spend 2300 hours playing solo queue. Um, and, and I also get this, like I play a lot of games, like I play them competitively, but I also realize that I'm solo queued and it's like, I'm not the angriest if I lose, mm-hmm. um, where it's like, I'll queue into, I don't really care what my rank is. Right. So like I'll queue into a game solo queued and ranked. And if my teammates are super toxic after like two or three rounds, if they're like awful people or like they clearly don't know or whatever, I'm like, I'm still going to try, but like, I'm going to try like maybe not like a 110%. Maybe I'm going to try like 90% because it's very mm-hmm. clear. Like we're probably going to lose. Yeah. I know I don't give up and I don't throw, but it's like, I set my own internal expectations accordingly where I'm like, yeah, but it's probably a lost cause at this point. Like yeah. I'm resigned to the fact it's like whatever, you know, mentally I'm not going to, I'm not going to ruin my day, my night onto the next one after this. No problem. Um, I think the greater problem is that because this game is so weird in, in its matchmaking, you can get in Europe, you can have a five stack of French players, none of whom speak English, and you can get the guy who's a support, who five queues with them the whole time, they get diamond, but he doesn't speak any English, and he's not a good player, but because he's in a five stack and he's playing support and he's droning for his teammates, he's doing fine. He now goes to solo queue as a diamond, but on his own, he's maybe like a gold three. Mm-hmm. that totally fucking annihilates the matchmaking. And I've had matches in Europe where it's like, I'll queue in and nobody on my team speaks English. None. I don't hear a single mic other than some other language that's like, I don't know, like let's say Italian or Russian or, or German or something like that. They'll make a call out in that language. Nobody will respond to it. And that's the only talking I'll hear and we'll lose 0-4. And, and we'll just get pummeled. And it's like we're playing against fucking pro league players. And it's like, you need to be able to take that into account, which is why I think we need two systems. We need a team queue and we need a solo queue, period. And that needs to be implemented tomorrow. So, you know, whenever, but we need a solo queue system so that you have a separate rank. Because when I'm playing with George and he does probably boost my stats and then I go play solo queue and I'm higher than I should be, I shouldn't be fucking over my teammates. Yeah, I agree. We need a solo queue and we need, and we need a team queue. 100%. I agree. I will. The only problem is I don't know, like at higher ranks, I don't know if there's enough people to do that. Yes. That's... I'm worried about that as well. Um, yeah. I, I mean, especially at night, mm-hmm. especially at night. Uh, and I don't know what the solution is. A lot of people will say, yeah, I'll wait 10 minutes for a match, but it's like the player base probably won't. 
Mm-hmm. Like a streamer or somebody who's well known in the scene may, but a random person who's just really good at the game will probably go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't know, but it's quite the predicament. But yeah, I uh, I commend his his mental fortitude, his strength. There's a lot power, of strength there. All yeah. that. And I would just but like yeah. to uh, I would just like I to... would I would recommend playing with a team though, just even to just experience it more, like. It's so, this game is so much better, even playing with one or two people. And you'll like it more. Yeah. Night and day, honestly, just being able to, playing as Thatcher, being able to coordinate with a Thermite, playing as Valk or Echo or Maestro, being able to coordinate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think goes a long way. And I will leave us, speaking of George, with this great copy pasta from my good friend Zumi that says, I frequently play with a guy that always complains about his deaths and never takes responsibility for how he died. He constantly blames me, even though he streams and gets stream sniped every game according to him. He used to be a world champ, but he's old now. His name is George. Should I stop playing with him? That's a good copy pasta. That's like a good that. copy pasta. I hope he just made it up on the spot, but I have a feeling he probably didn't. I really didn't. like that one. We also have to wish somebody a happy birthday, by the way, because we don't, I will never ever do this in the future, so don't ask, but somebody very nicely reached out to me last night who I have spoken with before on Instagram, whose name is Latrell Pena, or Pena, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and said, hey, would it be too much to ask for a happy birthday um, on the podcast today? No, not at all. Latrell Pena, or Latrell Pena, depending on how you pronounce that, or Pena, happy birthday. We get a happy Happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday in the chat. Happy birthday in the chat, boys. Happy birthday in the chat. But uh, that's it. Do you have anything else pressing that you want to talk about, or are we going for... uh, are we going for dinner now? You have to yeah, go to scrims I gotta, eventually. I gotta eat. I gotta eat. For you, it's three fifteen. You've still got the day. For me, it's six fifteen. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's bright. I see by my fucking pale ass face on the camera now. You, you look great. Yeah, you're as white as Kickstar. It makes it bad, man. If I you mean, guys didn't, if you guys don't know. I had some camera difficulties. I couldn't oh, yeah. use the camera I used, so I tried to use a different one. I mean, it was like. Okay, normally I use a Brio. I couldn't use the normal Brio I use today because of prior commitments and stuff. <laughs> um, so I tried a different one and it wasn't detecting, so now I'm using a different one and just didn't go well. So I, I use a Brio and it works just fine. But I will say this, uh, when we do rehearsals and they do light, I, I feel so badly for Face It because they do light check and because my room is a window, because I don't live in a dungeon, my room mm-hmm. is a window. And because of that, uh, I get, I don't have blackout curtains. So some light comes in around the blinds, which makes me lighter. But then when we do rehearsal, we do light checks. We do light checks at like four thirty-five o'clock. And then we go live at six and the match can go till nine by the time the sun has gone down. So the light just gradually changes. And I look mm-hmm. totally different at the end of the broadcast. Than I do at the start. So, um, anyway, with that said, thank you everybody for watching. Greatly appreciate this. Our seventh episode. Um, this was just a nice free flowing conversation where we talked about a bunch of stuff. Um, as always, thank you to everybody for your, uh, thank you to everybody for clipping this on the subreddit. That's super cool that you all do that, that you share those clips around and the support obviously on social media and in the comment sections has been awesome. Um, the coaches episode was really well received. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, in the discord, you've all been asking us lots of questions. Please don't stop doing that. Continue pumping them in there and we'll get to them. Let's do a Q&A episode, yeah? Where we just ask questions for like two I'm hours. I'm down with it. I'm down with I'm that. Down with it. I'm down yeah. with that. We'll um, end up rambling off of them, so yeah. 
Yeah, some of them are really good questions, and I think we could spend some time, and we could do like a rapid fire round where it's like ahead of time. I'll go through and I'll curate a couple questions yeah. where it's just like the quick ones. Yeah, just quick ones. Like, you know, who do you hate playing against in pro league? Just like here's the name, here's a short reason, move on. You know, like kind of deal. Um, my my answer to that was pretty long though. Yeah, I know, but that's fine. That's yeah. okay. We'll have to have like a stop clock where we have like 60 seconds, like 20 seconds up here. But uh, if you're watching fun. it, if you're watching it on YouTube, thank you for all the likes. The ratio has been great. Please leave a comment down below for future guests that you want to see. And we'll see how many people actually make it to the end because, well, now they're going to see. If you want a future mm -hmm. guest, leave it down below. Who would you like to see and what topics would you like discussed? As always, likes, subscribes, retweets, favorites, follows, all that jazz. Greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for tuning into our seventh episode. The reception's been awesome. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.